Hello, and welcome to episode 144 of Flicks in the Six. That was the weirdest hello I think I've done in 144 are <laughs> usually pretty consistent. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Costanza, with me forever and always, the man, the myth, the prohibition yeast, Alessandro Bialsi. Say hello, Al. Henceforth, artichoke hearts will be for, referred to as hardichokes. Ah, Brilliant. Thank you. On this on this week's episode, a handful of Star Wars treats and all other news and nuggets, all before diving into our flick of the week, The Untouchables. But first, Al, what are we drinking? You know, I appreciate how many different varieties of yeast I have been called on this show. Yeah. There's been wild yeast, there's been prohibition yeast, there's been at least three or four other yeasts. This edition of My Nicknames for You is what I'm calling the yeast strain. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's a series of episodes from 135. <laughs> I actually don't know when it started. <laughs> I don't know. It's been it's been several though. Mm. Um, we're drinking Boulevard Bourbon Barrel Quad. It's a barrel aged ale. It's bottle conditioned. It mm. has stats somewhere on this box that I can no longer find. Nope, on the bottle though. It's I think eleven. Eleven point two percent alcohol by volume. Twenty six IVUs. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I have things to read about this beer. I appreciate when we have reading about the beer, and so Mm, I'm going to do it. The wrong one first, this one. This Abbey-style quadruple is a dark, strong ale separated into oak bourbon barrels to age for various lengths of time, some for up to three years. Cherries are added to make up for the, quote, angel share of beer lost during barrel aging. Selected barrels are blended for optimum flavor, Warm and toasty with aromas of bourbon, oak, and vanilla. Bourbon Barrel Quad also retains a hint of tart cherry with caramel notes. Oh man, all of that sounds so delightful. Right? Well, you uh, were punched in the face with the smell oh, of this yeah. beer when you opened it. I, I, was, I was instantly hung over. <laughs> that's oh, what that's, happened. <laughs> oh, that's a barrel-aged quad. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so oh, before, oh, was it ever? before we taste this, I've got a couple of questions. What is it about? First, wait, wait, first I have a question. Yeah. Maybe it'll be one of the same questions. What is it about barrel-aged quads with cherries? Because isn't that what Three Philosophers is? About? I think so. It's a, it must be something about like the either either the tartness and sweetness of a cherry must like cut something. Mm-hmm. I would guess. That's one that you're a big favorite fan of, isn't it? Uh, I would say yes. Um, I know you I, brought I, it to the house. Was it for the Mayweather McGregor? Not Mayweather. Uh, Mayweather Pacquiao fight. Oh, I I don't remember. All I know is that I had I had a I had a I had a night with it once, so I, I don't know that I've I don't know that I've actually recovered. We've all had Thanks, those Jesse. nights. I had the, I had that night with a Victory Golden Monkey. We've all oh had yeah, nights. I think we've all had that night with Victory Golden Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Came as advertised from the guy at the beer store when I bought it for the first time. <laughs> nice. Uh, I slept so, in a chair. So, question. First off, uh, this is the furthest out that I've ever seen a date on a beer. Oh, where was the date? What's on the bottle? 3rd of February, 2022. Oh. Well, with this alcohol content, you probably throw that date out the window and leave it as long as you want. Yeah, please enjoy by whatever, is what it should say. It's like aging a wine. It's basically the same strength. Now, I need you to take the bottle again and turn it sideways and look at the... Underneath the government warning, there is the information about the deposits. And then underneath that, I'm pretty sure I'm being told that in Puerto Rico, I should not be littering. Now it that could just be so, the yes. orientation of <laughs> Is that is that what you're getting out of that message? Yeah, because all of it on the top line are states, Connecticut, Hawaii, 
Iowa, Maine, Massachusetts, New York, Vermont, five percent. Oh, sorry, five cents deposit. Michigan, Oregon, ten cents deposit. Then next line in red, not white like the last letters. California cash return. That's what the CRV stands for. Okay. Cash return. Value. What's the V? A value, I think, but I'm oh, okay. not hundred okay. percent sure. But I know it's. Uh, I know. I'm, I'm pretty sure the deposit in California is like a dollar. Oh, okay. Um, and then next to that, back in white again, Puerto Rico dash do not litter. I'm assuming that they don't have the same recycling rules and laws in Puerto Rico. And so you're just being encouraged if you are having this beer in Puerto huh. Rico to not litter the glass. Okay. All right. I'm not crazy then. So you definitely read it the same way as I did. Yes. Here, throw it out your window. No big deal. That is Puerto the first- Rico. <laughs> well, you are encouraged, incentivized to recycle it with the money that they're holding, the state is holding hostage from you. But if you wish to litter, it's not telling you not to. Mm. 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 Now, I wonder, is it punishable by law if the bottle, if you're in Puerto Rico and you litter a bottle that tells you not to litter? Mm. Is that the only time it's punishable by law? No, no you were Ooh. warned in Interesting. writing. Does it have to say on the bottle? You were warned in writing. All right. Let's let, they were like, let's not in Puerto Rico. Let's not leave anything up to chance. Right. <laughs> All right. I, I'm so curious. So cheers. Ooh, that resonated nicely. Much better than mine. Oh, yeah. That is silky smooth. This is a super dangerous beer because it's got a little bit of the alcohol warming, but not nearly enough for how the percentage it is. Oh, that just tastes like um, it tastes like. A really tasty glass of bourbon that the ice cube has completely melted in. Yes, but <laughs> also, uh, no, actually, not even that because maybe like a cocktail because there's a sweetness too. Yeah, because it doesn't water down, and about um, and some bourbon almost gets sour when it. Like, That's true. When it gets watered down. Hmm. Yeah, this is a this is a weird one. It's so good. In the most dangerous way. <laughs> this, I feel like this would be a problem. This would be as much of a problem as as Golden Monkey. Yeah, I, well, I don't know that I could. I I don't know that I could never do more than one of these. It's not that rich or heavy that I would rich be. is. I I feel like it's rich. It's rich in flavor, but like it doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's like weighting my. Palate. Al, I feel like I'm drinking a decadent cake. <laughs> Yeah, but you know when you eat a decadent... I'm not mad about it. <laughs> when you eat a decadent cake, you immediately feel it just like take up residence in your stomach. Sure. I don't get that with this. You don't get that? I kind of get that. Maybe yeah. it's just like the overabundance of sweetness. There is a lot of residual sweetness, but that's pretty common for something with this amount that's, of alcohol that's content. It's pretty common for gnawing on a handful of cherries. <laughs> <laughs> no, for anything that's 11%, like that's, especially it's going to be like a, a triple, quadruple, whatever... It's not going to have hops to balance the sweetness. Right. You're going to get like that. If it's going to be this malt forward, you're, it's going to yeah, be yeah. the runaway sweetness effect. I do feel like there's like, um, there's a flavor. There's something in that sweetness that resembles like one of your early beers. Is that something that was like maybe less hoppy then? Well, you have to understand that. I mean, maybe, but uh, with, with a... Was it the wild yeast? <laughs> well, it is bottle conditioned, so... <laughs> There's that similarity with my beer, so you're gonna get some of that yeasty uh. aftertaste, mm-hmm. which I know you're gonna call me next mm-hmm. week. <laughs> which I know you're gonna call me next week. No. Oh. oh God, no! Not even you deserve that. 
Oh but, no, but I can't it, enjoy this now. <laughs> this is actually going to be in some ways. I mean, this is like a much bolder and richer in flavor than I did, but I didn't age mine in barrels for fucking sure. years. Um, the one I, you haven't tried the newest Alzale yet, right? You still have it. No, I've got two in my on yeah. my shelf. We, we didn't do it for the show yet, did we? No, I don't know what they are though. Uh, it's a Belgian Golden Strong Ale, so it's a cousin to this beer. But there's two. Um, What's the other one? Mystery beer. <laughs> did I not just give you two of that beer? Oh, maybe I don't know. They looked like they were different colors before, but who, oh, who can I, really say? I could have swore I gave you a couple of bottles, and we were supposed to have Kim on for an episode, and she was supposed to get. Oh, it's probably right. It's probably the same. Yeah. Um, but that one and most, well, basically all Belgians, double, triple, quadruple. <sighs> You're gonna put Belgian candy sugar in it mm. to Ooh. beef up both the, <laughs> the, both the sweetness and the alcohol content. Belgian candy sugar is something I could call you. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. I, can that. <laughs> I have sweetness. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is really good. My face is very warm though. I I do feel a little bit of that going on. Yeah, I mean, I also probably was drinking it too fast because I was really enjoying it. Yeah, uh, I'm enjoying this dangerously as well. I have another one in the fridge. Um, this this is a dangerous. Yeah. What uh? What, what, where are you going with 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 thuckles on this guy? Oh, this is this is at least three, if not four thuckles. Oh, okay, interesting, interesting. I'm gonna go. Um, I think I'm gonna go three thuckles because of the it's unique. Normally, like uh, this, I'm not like super into this like type of thing. Um, I would probably give it a thumb, but this is particularly good for this type of thing that I'm not super into. So I feel like I'm going to go three thuckles on it. Uh, if it were four thuckles, you would lose one because specifically if you were drinking this while working with power tools, a thuckle is what you would have left. (laughs) (laughs) Or you'd lose at least one thuckle. Exactly. Minimum one thuckle. Well, and that's why, just like you aren't allowed to litter in Puerto Rico, it also tells you not to operate heavy machinery while drinking this beer. Yeah, may cause loss of fuck. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> when I win the lotto and we open Al's Ales, um, we're, <laughs> that is going to be part of our disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, there's a, uh, well, you'll you'll do your quad. Um, your quint. How about that? You do uh, five. You can five it up. the first ever quint? It's to be the quint. And then. I have never heard of a quintuple. Ever. And we'll call it the Thuckle Buster. <laughs> <laughs> yes! The Thuckle Grinder? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, this is a treat. I have Thank a, you for this one. I have a little bit more on this beer um, yeah. from Boulevard Brewing. This is part of the Smokestack series. Ooh. Rising high above our historic brewery, the old brick smokestack has stood silent but faithful watch through decades of rapid and often extraordinary change. The addition of a new brew house in 2006 enabled us to fulfill our long-held dream of crafting an evolving line of bold new beers that offer innovative modern riffs on traditional style. It seemed only fitting to call it the Smokesack Series. Hmm. Nice. This, this is, is great. Uh, we've done a couple of boulevards on the show. We've probably This is probably like our third, I want to say. Sure. Um, they've all been good. I'm going to say this is probably the best, or at least my favorite, of them, I'm gonna say I best. can't. I can't say that I remember the other one. So I'll sure this is the best. <laughs> <laughs> and Anthony's already wasted. This is gonna be a oh man. This is like this is like. Remember when we were gonna do three episodes at once? This is like third episode 
style. Remember that's what this is. That's what this is going to be. Three episodes at once. In the third episode, we're both <laughs> clearly drunk, and you're clearly borderline blackout drunk. <laughs> it's the third episode, Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars and stuff. We were speaking full of beer and pizza. Yeah. Speaking of which, do you want to get into some news and nuggets? Yes. All right. So we have a handful of Star Wars things that have happened to us this week. Yes. It's a weird way to phrase that. Star Wars things um, that have happened to us this week. <laughs> Star Wars happened to us this week. So I want to actually start off with, weirdly, I would like to start off with uh, Star Wars Squadrons. You know, I'm this. it finally felt like this is the trailer that hooked me. Uh, I've been interested specifically in, I honestly, I didn't even need a trailer. You could have told me generally what it was, and I'd be like, a, a Wogue Squad, Wogue? Wogue? Squadron? <laughs> <laughs> a Rogue Squadron esque game. <laughs> Did you become Gilda Soul. Radner? Like not Gilda Radner, uh Madeline Cotton. <laughs> it's Twoo. It's Twoo. It's Twoo. <laughs> but uh I I'm all for I just I've been wanting to play a that style Star Wars game for a while. Now Well, I I'm sorry, I didn't mean to impugn your honor and your interest in a Star Wars. When it first came out and was announced, you mm-hmm. were like, Oh yeah, cool. And like but like it felt like you never got past that point. With this oh, yeah. trailer, it felt like you're finally like Okay, I'm in. Well, here's what's funny about it, is I only got halfway through the trailer because it's 10 minutes, and I was really busy. It was nearly <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> and I didn't get back to it, but I actually wanted to ask you about where it ends up, because the way that it starts off, I was like, well, why? Was just for anyone who hasn't seen this trailer, because there have been several that have come out. Sure, but it's and the I latest one. I know I sent you the gameplay trailer, and the gameplay looks better. Yes, yeah, which is what awesome. I'm, at this stage of my life, story trailers, like cinematics, cool, fun, great. Show but me what I'm playing. If you send me too many of those, I get a little worried because you're not oh, yeah. showing me the gameplay, and I want to know what it looks like to see if I'm going to be interested in playing that. Like I might be super interested in your story yeah. or your whole vibe, but if I don't enjoy the actual hands-on, even if the gameplay isn't the best part of it, if I'm not interested in doing that, I'm mm-hmm. going to be so turned off. I'll never get. It. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it totally makes sense. I, so I've got a couple questions. First off. Uh, I didn't see the whole trailer, but just based on the beginning, it almost seemed like we were making the Empire out to be the good guys. Just the way that it was playing out, so <laughs> which was an interesting trailer, take. trailer, that is the case. Um, I I don't know for sure. I meant to look in. I was, thankfully, I didn't have a long day today, but it was just a very frenetic day today. Hmm. And I didn't have a chance to look up and see if there was a matching one. So uh, okay. the gist of this game is that you will at some point throughout the course of the game be playing as part of both. Yeah a New Republic squadron and a fallen Empire squadron. Which is a pretty cool perspective thing, and they did that in, uh, what was it, Battle Battlefront 2? What, what was the one where you played, they had that uh, campaign, was that Battlefront 2? Where you played as, like, the Empire? Uh, yes, yes. That was That, that was, was the one awesome. that you, you were playing the one time when I came over. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. I, I dig that. Well, Although, that was different because say... you were playing as that one group that started out in the empire then realized that they no longer associated with the empire yeah which is what's interesting about it is like i feel like that's that's a cool concept because eventually they're going to become part of the good side but like the idea of playing the thing that was rubbing me the wrong way was the idea of playing like uh as the empire and pretending that it's okay like it's like there's so many years of the empire is bad like it's not a question (laughs) so it's like you're not gonna i feel like you're not gonna really be able to get that much of a perspective story well the whole point of this whole thing right is it's it's similar to what we went through in the mid to late aughts into the early teens right of anti-heroes dominated television and all that where Mm -hmm. 
bad guy sympathetic character. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Battlefront 2 storyline did, right? Is right. Emp- Empire unequivocally bad, but to the average person within it, even though they may be vigorously expediting their goals, you can relate to the fact that everyone wants to be the hero of their own story. And they weren't converts to a cause. Like, it's different than the First Order, where it's like, no, 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 the Empire ended up being bad. You were converted to this mm-hmm. movement, as opposed to being born and grown up into the Empire. You think you're the good guy. Mm-hmm. You're definitively not. And we see that with someone like Finn in the First Order. We see that with the characters. Was it uh, Iden? Or wasn't that her name? Was Iden Versio or something like that? In And, the, and their squadron. Yeah. What they were called in that. Um, in Battlefront 2, where it's your entire life has been in the middle of Empire space. Sure. There is no reason for you to ever believe and with propaganda and all that it's a fascist state you think you are causes just Hmm. and it's only getting on the front lines and seeing how many people you're killing wantonly that you finally realize oh fuck we're the bad guys right right and that's Uh, i I will say so uh, yeah i was definitely that makes sense i I was i was getting to the point of watching it and going uh I don't feel bad for this guy as he's getting like he's headed towards he's headed towards the Star Destroyer. He's like trying to get out of there. I was like, I hope they leave your ass behind. And then it burns away and he's left behind. And I was like, damn, that's cold. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, too? and then I started rooting for him to get out of it. <laughs> Which is exactly what happens, right? You're, you're, you're predetermined if you've a Star Wars fan of any age post like eight years old. You know unequivocally that the, or at least you should know that the Empire is the bad guys, right? And so, yeah. anytime, and, and like, especially an officer, right? Like, not just some, and uh, you know, you're not going to sympathize with like random faceless stormtroopers. You're not supposed to. That's why you don't see their faces. Like, sure. just a grunt, like you know, henchman holding wrench on the Death Star. Like, you'll feel bad for that person because, like, they, the, the independent contractors. Yeah, the independent <laughs> contractors, exactly, because. They're not actively, like, yes, they are working on this machine of death, this star of death, but they're not actively, like, mowing down civilians. So, like, Mm. they're just some random engineer. Like, it's the guy who, like, it's a mechanic who fixes the buses of, like, like school children. You know what I mean? Right. It's different when you see an Imperial officer. You just automatically know hate. Bad. Bad guy. Bad guy. (laughs) Just because you are a bad guy. Yeah, exactly. And so That's you watch the mean. beginning of that trailer. It's a clever trailer, right? Because you watch the beginning of that trailer and it's like, okay, they're fighting like New Republic or soon to be associated with New Republic Rebellion, whatever. Um, fighters, and so you're naturally rooting against this fucker and you're and, and then you hear one of his like squadron, oh god, I help. And it's like, uh. Oh. Like Yeah. Eh, eh. Yeah. And then she gets blown up and it's like, oh. And oh, then, you made it real. Yeah, now it's real. Like I listened to her screaming as she mm-hmm. was about to die. I listened to her screaming and then not. And then not. <laughs> and then, oh, and then you're like, I hope this guy gets left behind. It's like, oh, fuck, he got left behind. And yeah. Like, By the oh, way, man. that is an incredibly imperial thing to do. They really don't care. Like, no. <laughs> it's different if like, they took care of their own. And like you know that's a big differentiation point where it's like, sure, like you got a Cassian Andor who's going to execute someone he knows because it's for the good of the mission. But like. Mm-hmm. The Star Destroyer probably could have waited five more seconds. Sure. 
And sure. they don't care. Like, people aren't just cogs in the machine. It's like, okay, you know what? I don't like this guy, bad dude, but even your own dude should be taking care of you a little bit more. Yeah. And then you grow to have a relationship with this character after, what, five minutes of a trailer? Yep. That was too long, probably, but still. Sure. Oh, cool. it was definitely too long. It's definitely something that I would have preferred to see in the game. Um, I will say the couple of things visually that were amazing. One is the uh, the spark on the ship, which caught the eye of the pilot of the X-Wing. I thought that was really cool. That yes. was really awesome. Uh, the thing that really blew me away is the entry through the atmosphere. The burning up was awesome. It looks so good. And I was just like, I want to play this. Also, like, <laughs> let's talk about, like, like the sequence, right? Because now this is a cinematic. I don't even think this is a game engine. If you, right. you didn't stick to the end of the trailer. No. They do give you not gameplay, but game engine footage. Okay. Isn't as polished, but still looks really good. Sure. Um, and so like they go through that whole thing, right? Where he's he the burn through the atmosphere, re-entry, really cool. Then pops into the it's like, oh wow, this is like a verdant planet, like looks cool, like clouds, green, like, you know, grass and all that sort of stuff. And then the shot as he looks back up and realizes he's still being chased, and you seeing big hunks of destroyed ship hurtling down through re-entry as well. That's that cool. A really cool scene. Did you get to I that will, part? No, I'll have to. I will definitely have to go back. It was and, only and watch like the probably rest. ten seconds after the re-entry thing, or uh, okay. thirty seconds late. Like it was, and then they they do this whole thing where it's the two of them dogfight through canyons and stuff like That's that. That's cool. Um, I dig that. And ends up being really cool. Actually, the weird thing about this trailer was, so I think it was like what, like nine minutes and forty five seconds or something like that total, and the last thirty seconds of most of those YouTube like things end up being like ad space so let's call it about a nine minute trailer the first seven minutes of the trailer is that story Mm -hmm. and we get a little bit of the two characters the imperial and the rebellion pilots but then it gives you like 90 seconds to two minutes of actual trailer to game and like i said it was game engine it's not gameplay but it's like cinematic engine stuff Mm -hmm. still looks really cool really well done well executed and you get more like snippets of like both sides in this case. And the, That's the cool. whole fact that it's like, I forget, I think Titan Squadron is the Imperial one, and I forget the name of the Rebellion one. Each one has a name of the specific squadron that you're going to be in. Okay. I think you get to play as four or five different types of ship. I don't know if it is that you play as each of the pilots on it. I want to say it's five, because um, I think the okay. squadrons are five people. Um, it's like the Interceptor type thing, so it's like, a wing versus the tie interceptor. There's the like the multi or like the versatile wifer where they actually cause the X wing slash tie fighter one. There's the bomber class, which is the Y wing versus the tie bomber. Mm-hmm. Then there's the the support one, and it's that U wing. Do you remember that from Rogue One? It was the one that it could like swing its wings open to look kind of like a fighter jet, and it pulled it forward. It has the long ones. It was the yeah. ones that dropped off the guys on on Edu at the end of. I the think movie. I know what you're talking about. And there's an equivalent one of the of that of the Imperial one. I think there might have been one other class of ship as well. I forget. Hmm. That's pretty cool. The uh, I'm, I'm I mean I'm definitely interested in playing it. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, I, like I said, I've been I'm looking for a, for a Star Wars like fighting game, uh, like fighter game. Um, question for you is what what's the time frame? Where, where is this game taking place? To my understanding, it's supposed to be actually, I think, similar time frame to The Mandalorian. Like, 
several years after the fall of the Empire, but not like because like Episode Seven picked up thirty years later, right? Okay, it's not. I think it's closer to six than it is to seven. Interesting. I wonder if there'll be something cool like a, a tie-in? Char- character tie-in. That'd be awesome. It would I'd be, be I, super I on board with that. I, it, it only as you were asking the question, I was really thinking about it that I clicked for me. I was like, yeah, I think it's supposed to be like five-ish years after. So I think contemporary with, even if it's not going to overlap. All right. That's pretty cool. So then th- that raises just one weird question that I, I couldn't figure it out. I also didn't rewind it. But it looked like that Star Destroyer was headed towards or almost pushing what looked like a Trade Federation ship. And I did not understand what I was looking at. It was like that circular shaped... No, you know what that was? It was the ring from Rogue One that created the shield generator around the planet. Ah. That's what it, it opened up with was... The mission was failed. That Star Destroyer was in support of that thing, and the gotcha. rebellion broke the ring, which shattered the shield around ah, the planet. Rebel scum! And so, <laughs> and so they were they were fleeing the battlefield, and you see like the Hulk, like Got he's it. hiding in the broken Hulk of that ring gate. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Cool. I am. Uh, when does this come out? Do you have? Do you know what the date is on this? Yeah, though, along with the trailer, I think it said October second. Sweet. Which is super close. I thought it was like yeah. a couple of months away. I'm a little confused because I thought this was dropping with the new generation, but I guess it's not mm-hmm. because the new the new Xbox and PlayStation aren't coming out until sometime in November, right? No, but um, I don't know. There could be I don't know if there'll be like a Operas or anything like that, or if there's going to be some enhanced versions or not. But. Well, I'm gonna have to look it up because I have to imagine they're developing it for those as well, right? I don't know. Why you would you know. drop? such a big deal like they're making a big deal about this like a star wars game is always going to be a big deal yeah i will say that, that like, being said they, the they, end of they end of generation games look really good they do no but my point is like ea motive that that studio was created for this game mm. uh a lot of the people from when they shuttered bioware montreal and redistributed them amongst the new office that they just built in edmonton and they shifted some of those people there to in support of Dragon Age 4. And some of those people are continuing on the ridiculous and like drawn out revamp of Anthem. And some of those people left and went to Bioware Austin, I believe. But a bunch of them were reformed into EA Motive. Because there's a handful of people I know who worked on Mass Effect Andromeda Ian Frazier is, I think, the lead on this game, and he was one of the leads on Mass Effect Andromeda. Mm. So a huge section of Bioware Montreal, which no longer exists, like I said, was reformed, is in EA Motive now. Like This studio was made to do this game and a couple of other games. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they're doing the like what that what the enhanced situation is. Well, I'm wondering but. because they they did say for some games that they were gonna like, especially ones late in this life and like early in the next cycle, we're gonna be co-developed for both generations, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, and then also there's like the smart delivery stuff with Xbox where it'll get the um if there is an upgraded version, you would you would get that. Well, that's the thing I want to look into is if because I this is the type of game I would want to get at launch, but I don't know if I'm gonna buy it if. Unless it has like a, hey, if you buy it now, we'll give you the free download for the new generation. Star Wars Squadrons will not get a release on the next generation console, but it is expected to still be playable with backward compatibility. That was from Game Rent. Ah, okay. So it'll basically just be up converted to that 
not even it just sounds like backward compatibility not even like a change okay but that's fine this, this, it, this, it looks it looks great this leads me to issues because i didn't want to get a launch xbox series x mm-hmm. but now i'm kind of feeling like i want to lately like the last couple mm. of weeks but the what other- about what about that uh if you get it with that uh that deal it's pretty sweet what's which that one monthly that monthly payment jam you guys, conf- bucks. I gotta be honest, you guys confused the shit out of me on that episode with Dave. <laughs> the episode of Game Bites that you guys Because had- there's so many, there were so many things. You guys went back and forth, there were so many options, you guys went back and forth eight times, I do not know what any of those things are. At the end of the day, I got B to buy an Xbox, so I feel that it worked out. But- you accomplished the mission of helping him buy- That's right. A, a platform, uh, or yeah, a console. You yeah. did not accomplish the goal of helping anyone else. <laughs> oh, no. It, well, it's a very specific time. If you were going to... The, the idea was at the time of that episode, if you were going to buy one, probably don't. Because yes. new okay. stuff was coming out. But he was ready to get in. From the conclusion of now or later, yes, that was helpful. Yeah. But and then he's built and he bridged the gap. I was Here's so the deal. confused. I the all-access so jam. Is, is it all-access? I don't even know if that, the name... There's too many weird names for these things. I think it's all-access. I could there be There was wrong, like three things that had overlapping... Features. Uh, so, which that I mean, that part wasn't your guys' fault. That's right. the, that the offer. Oh no, fault. I'm I, I'm I'm well aware. So it's called all access. You can get a Series X. It's thirty five bucks a month, and it includes Game Pass Ultimate. Okay. So there's it's a basically zero percent twenty four month payout for the Series X, but you're also getting the fifteen dollar a month Game Pass Ultimate. So at the end of the day, I think you save somewhere like probably like. I don't know. I don't, I'm not in the financials of this thing. This is me spitballing. I think it's like 50 to 60 bucks potentially over the long haul. But either way, it's no upfront. It's no big upfront cost to buy the new system. You're just paying the monthly installment at a 0% interest rate. So as long as you have a credit score, I'm not even saying a good one. It's a low monthly payment. <laughs> if you have a credit score, I feel like you'll probably be qualified for it. <laughs> that's That's been a whole thing that's I'm really curious. I'd like to talk to financial people. Like, I have a financial background, but I'm not a financial person because I don't work in it every day. Mm-hmm. What is going on exactly with these big companies? They all want to become the bank, and they're all offering us way too yeah. attractive yeah. deals. Well, okay. I don't so like that, where this is going. No, no, it, it's it's actually it's pretty great. So there's, it's literally uh, too good to be true. hundred percent has been setting off my radar for like five years. I'm just too lazy to look. You should definitely, we should have Brian come and talk about this for a minute because he did one of these gems where it's 0% for however many months, but the payment that they set you up at would push you over the month threshold where you wouldn't have paid it off by the end of that, of that payment gap, like whatever those months are. And once you break that threshold, you then owe interest on everything prior. <laughs> so- Wait, what do you mean? So there's like a, he had he looked into I don't want to say the company because I don't remember which one it was and I don't want to get it wrong That's but fine. he he he's looking into a, he did like one of those deals with a tablet where it was like you get zero percent for say whatever it is twenty four months I, I'm just gonna give you numbers twenty four months but the way that payment is broken down it would of the payment that he was paying it would take thirty six months to pay it off it's zero percent for twenty four months but you have to pay more than what their required payment is to actually pay it off in 24 months. And if you go past that 24 months, you then owe interest on the previous 24 plus that's the a next one. That's a, that's a whole different thing. That's <laughs> That's up. the dirty version of this. Yeah, no, that's a whole different. That's a whole different. <laughs> <laughs>
even more fucked up. So I guess that's, yeah. that's so that's what this whole thing is. That it's just testing the waters to get to that. That has mm. to be what it is because, like, maybe I went through it with like my car. Like, yeah, when I just bought my car, it's like they're way too excited to give you zero percent. Yeah, like they gave me zero percent before they did the credit check. Yeah. Yeah, we have uh, on, Kim, on Kim's car, we have 0% as well. It's like a 39 or so. Yeah. And it's like, and like they were going to give me as long a term as I wanted. Nice. So, <laughs> like, yo, you want to pay for it over the next 100 years? We got you. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, okay. Sure. Whatever. I'm still waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, what, right. what is going on here exactly? Just check your payments and make sure that at the end of the term, that you have signed up for, that you will have paid it off. That's the only, that's the only potential gotcha. Well, I gotta say, as infuriating as it is to set it all up to pay totally online, totally free of my involvement, it debits that payment on the day that it's due every mm-hmm. single month with no holds barred, no issues. They still send me a paper copy of the Oh, come on! <laughs> I... Dude, I went through this with my old car. I bought that car six years ago. <laughs> And this is, we're still here. Different company. Six years later, they still they still send me paper. And it's like, I've checked every box. This is email only. Please yeah. stop wasting the paper. Now, I... Oh. I, I no, no, no. I Hang recycle on. it. Stop wasting the paper. No, the, my favorite one is when... Uh, so this has happened... And what Usually, it happens to the financial institution of some kind. So if like, it's a new credit card or if it's a new account or something. And you opt into paperless transactions. They send you a letter confirming... <laughs> That you've done it. I'm like, really? Wait, no, actually, you know what? <laughs> that actually makes sense. Because if you were hacked online and you opted sure. online, there's no way you would know because someone else yeah. has done it for you because they've hacked you. So that actually makes sense. As a one-time piece of paper, not one I get every month. Sure. Sure. Just a reminder, you get these notifications actually, online. So <laughs> On the line. The, the, the paper opt-in, opt-out thing. I understand it, even if you still feel it's a little bit wasteful. I get it, right? Sure. The thing I'm talking about, pretty wasteful. You want to know the absolute worst one that I've ever received? Is it when you unsubscribe from an email, and then you get the email saying that, congratulations, you've unsubscribed? (laughs) I've gotten that before. That's fine. I go, I go, "Mm." Listen, the couple of digital bytes that that cost Sure, did it accelerate entropy 0.00001% in this universe? Sure. But it didn't actually waste anything realistic, sure. tangible. There was no paper. There was no nothing. It wasted one second of my time deleting the email. Precious second of your time that you will never get back. <laughs> sure. But I, oh boy, how do I have so many wasted seconds? Sure. Um, but they were your wasted seconds. <laughs> so listen, when I started my new job earlier this year, I... I had to fill out a whole bunch of stuff to be enrolled in my company's 401k. Sure. I created a, uh, an account online with Merrill for the 401k. That's the one our company uses. Yeah. Great. Set up. Perfect. Okay. You get onboarding paper in the mail to say you set up your account. Great. Totally understand. I then set up, because I had much more income than I had prior to that, a Roth IRA. I said, let me set it up with Merrill because... Already have an account. I have there. a Merrill account. Yeah. Two separate platforms, two separate apps. Little confusing, little bit obnoxious, even though the Roth IRA account 
shows the balance sure. of the 401. I'm familiar with this situation. Can't, can't <laughs> access it, can't mess around with it, whatever, but it shows it's there. Cool. Great. Synergy. <laughs> mm-hmm. When Synergy. I went to set up the account on the Roth IRA with Merrill, I said, let me set it up under the same account that I already have the 401k. Sure. Need two separate accounts, totally different logins. <laughs> now, uh, they're linked because I'm the same person. Like sure. I said, I can see the one and the other. So they security are two separate numbers. Accounts. <laughs> I went through the most insane bullshit trying to set this up. I called the I called Merrill up and I was like, can I just get these two lumped? They're like, yes. Said, you said, hey, Merrill. <laughs> I said, can I just get these two lumped under the same account? Yes. So why won't it let me set it up under the same thing? Oh, no, you need two sep- totally separate like login credentials for it. Now you have password, to- totally separate login credentials. I was like, <sighs> so then I end up getting the two things confused. The password, the login thing, because it was saying there was already an account with Merrill with the name of, because I set that account up, right? Sure. I changed the password on the first account when I set the second account because of this whole fuck up, right? I got a letter in the mail (laughs) telling me I changed my password. (laughs) Not an email. I got a letter in yes. the mail oh, man. telling me I changed the password on the first account. I would, I, 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 the, I, the, like, regard, whenever that letter arrived, it's too late. It doesn't, it's too late. I got a five days later. Can <laughs> <laughs> you imagine the oh, man. of sending a paper correspondence to oh, tell wow. me that I changed my password that was tied to an email? That's so good. I'm so happy about this. It's the worst, most egregious That's... paper correspondence I've ever gotten in my life. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, uh, one day, we will get into my uh, Apple developer account woes. That's a story for another time. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, that's financial yeast for you. We're... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> We're now moving on to The Mandalorian Season 2. Oh, boy. I am so excited. Yeah, me too. That trailer, I, told, that trailer showed us nothing. It's absolutely nothing. I'm still super excited. That is the, yeah, We've complained so many times about trailers showing us too much, so it's kind of nice to not get too much. Yeah. But that was actually the most offensively little that a trailer could show. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it was the, two uh, minutes long. It wasn't a 30-second it, teaser. No, I know. It, it was the equivalent of doing a season two trailer with clips from season one, even though they were all new clips. That thing that like obnoxious people online do. Which just I guess just to generate like views on their account, like you know, oh my god, breaking and like people like go mm-hmm. you, and it's just someone dubbed over different lines of different yeah. things. The Mandalorian season two, the truth. Uh, that's, that's my favorite. Anytime I see a title of your, if your YouTube title video, a video title has the words "the truth" in it, I just started, know I'm I, not clicking that shit. Not only not clicking, <laughs> I've started blocking and reporting those things. Nice. Plus you stop doing those things. No yeah, one. No yeah. one. They're not. Oh my god, my brother. Tries. Oh no 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 no! no. We're not. We're, no, we're we're getting out of there. Back to the Mandalorian, yeah. which is delightful. Going yeah. back to delight, surprise and delight. The whole the stupid little thing of ba- the little Yoda guy closing Michelle 
I was like, oh man, I know exactly where this is going. And then you start hearing like the blaster shots and the chaos. I was like, this is so good. <laughs> and then I was like, I, I, you have to clear something up for me. At the end of that scene, he gets somebody, he knocks somebody down to the ground. Was that a knife, brother? Oh, you know, I didn't. It might have been a mm. death of Miri. I thought it was actually the same type of guy. I'd have to rewatch the show. I only watched it one time. I probably should have rewatched it again tonight. But sure, I same. Today. But I actually thought he looked closer to the guy that was in the episode with Bill Burr. Than, uh, oh, you know what? I think you might be right. That What's his name voice? Well, he was in makeup too. I, oh, God, what's his name? He's a great voice actor. He's he was in, he's been great. Such a pain in the ass in billions the last couple of seasons. He was in Shawshank Redemption. He was the the not the warden, but the the head of the guards. Okay. Totally drawing a blank on his name, even though he he's I, I love that guy. He's he's so good. Let's see if I can pull him up. Uh, Clancy Brown. Yes, him. I yeah. totally blanked on his name. Um. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think you you might be right. That that's that seems like it's more likely because they they uh. It was like the horns on the rim of his head. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Uh, but anyway, I, I'm just like, it, it's just like we, you see that and it's like October and you're just like, oh my God, it's so close. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> another one. We're going to get like, some man to watch. We got, we got, what, two weeks until Squadrons comes out and we have, what, six weeks until The Mandalorian comes back? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, so excited. Um, like you said. Showed me absolutely nothing, but showed me more than I needed. I'm so I'm just in. By the way, they sell like they have space boats with like regular ropes. I'm sorry, was that what was that sentence? We had space boats with regular ropes, like actual ropes. They looked like real life, like Earth 2020, like you could find ropes, like ropes that we've been using oh. the same way since like the like I don't know. 500 years ago. Like, what are you going to need the fucking rope for? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It didn't look like a space rope. It didn't look like a tactical, like mm-hmm. technological rope. It was a real life rope that we that just could find a boat today. Yep. Yep. I mean, why not? On a space boat in a long time ago in Galaxy Far Home. Exactly. Long time ago is the key. Rope. I'm just saying it was a little anachronistic. Look I at this like Earth it. tool we found. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. By the way, uh, X- X-Wings? X-Wings. 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 I like X-Wings. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I did. I was just surprised we got to see some X-Wings. Yeah, I, it's, I feel like they were like, we're going to, like, when they did the first season, they are like, we're going to go big and hope you like it. And everybody loved it. And they were like, we'll go bigger. <laughs> <laughs> you want X-Wings? You got X-Wings. Yeah. Uh, by the way, um, Rosario Dawson was not mm-hmm. expecting her to look just like Rosario Dawson. <laughs> I expected there to be, oh, I don't know, makeup or something. Sure. sure. Did I did I miss see that? Did you see something different than me? I know she's only on screen for one point four seconds. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. But now, admittedly, she had a hood on. I'm sure we'll see the weird like head tail things will be some sort of. Problem I would assume so. Thing. But I was expecting like more makeup to make her look more red because like a so red. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Decidedly not red. She seems just like Rosario <laughs> Dawson. Yeah. Which, uh, it's fine. I was just a little surprised. Right. Um, man, whatever. I'm in. I, I'm just so excited. Can't wait to watch it. Can't wait to check in on it weekly with you. I do love, it was a great, a pretty great line, you know, the whole thing. And I'm, I know I'm paraphrasing it 
paraphrasing it poorly, where he says, you want me to go seek out an order of, <laughs> <laughs> of enemy sorcerers? <laughs> I just like the one you see... You see it like like, like this this woman figure, and then just gone, and just the, the slow turn that the two of them make towards each other in this buddy cop like this buddy comedy Star Wars show that we have that like who knew <laughs> it was gonna be like this? It's so good, so entertaining. Um, that's what we'll that's what we will be watching. I am currently watching Dexter, as you know. Oh, I actually totally forgot about that. I finished season four. Uh, oh boy. Did you sit yeah. down? Uh, Did you I sit was down in a down. dark room? I was definitely sitting down. I was like, I now granted the entire time I, I knew something, I knew something horrible was going to happen just because, because Kim kept looking at you. Yeah. Well also oh, yeah, the whole time she was like this, I, she's like, I, basically before the episode came on, she was like, I don't know if I could do this tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, is it that bad? And she was like, yes. I was like, okay. Uh, I was like, well, we have to watch it at some point, and I would like to finish this. So we watched it, and I realized it was getting closer to the end of the episode. And I was like, oh, like, by the end, I knew, I, well, I was already assuming somebody was going to die horribly. That's it. I'm not going to say exactly what happens. Don't worry. Because I, I, too, am just catching up on it. I'm, I assumed somebody was going to die horribly. By the end of the episode, it, nothing, ha- nothing like that had happened, and I was like, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> but uh, Well, that's the one problem with watching that specific episode with someone who's already seen it, because mm-hmm. it's like watching the... It's actually... Uh, it's probably not even as egregious as The Red Wedding in that context of... like, Because like, you could be watching The Red Wedding, and it's like, oh, something's good, bad's going to happen. Like, someone's going to die. No, 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 everyone dies. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, yeah, you never could have guessed all of them were gonna die, right? Like, yeah, place your bets. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I would like to parlay the whole family. <laughs> yeah, like someone's gonna die. Okay, maybe a couple. Of, no, no, everyone. I think right? I just broke my finger. Oh wow, that was uh, pretty nonchalant. <laughs> breaking of a finger, but uh... ooh, don't feel good. That don't feel good. That'll be purple at some point. <laughs> oh, um, God. So, uh, just for those. Wondering, I my hand is on the armrest of my chair. I swiveled. The armrest went under the desk. There is no clearance, so my finger just got like jammed in between the underside of the desk and the armrest, and it uh, ooh, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> uh, but luckily, I have this quad beer over here. <laughs> it's like, pain away. Yeah, well, well, I'm pretty sure that's why I didn't feel it as bad as it should, because um, I already couldn't feel my finger. But anyway, that is, I'm watching Dexter. I'm deep into it. I'm uh, starting season five next. Um, took a break to watch some Lucifer just because we we're also trying to catch up on that. But so uh, overall, though, season four, pretty, pretty strong. Solid season. Um, I didn't. So like, yes, like uh, what's his name? John Lithgow was creepy for sure. hundred percent. I, uh, I was expecting a performance. That's what I was gonna say. I was expecting to be more creeped out based on what I had heard about it, but I was more fascinated at how good he was. Yeah, no, I, I don't think most people really highlight the creepiness of it per se. It's just the range of the performance. Yeah, like he brings it in basically every scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The uh, also and, the connections of like the the pattern towards the end of the season, and I, I was just like, oh, there's a there's a scene where he comes out into the open, and it, into the police precinct, and it's just like, 
That's oh, a oh, oh, this is heavy. <laughs> well, it's it's also it, it spawned. I mean, listen. So Dominic named his dog Dexter after the show, right? Mm-hmm. And so every once in a while, when he creeps into the room, I'll do what Don Lithgow does him. I go, "Hello, Dexter." Dexter <laughs> Morgan. <laughs> yeah, just the way he delivers that line. Yeah, because I think that's the end of the episode, isn't it? Uh, it is, yeah. It's like that's a mic this. drop, right? He yep. walks up, looks down at him. He's got this like maniacal grin. Grabs yeah. his name tag. Now he knows who he is for real. Yeah, it's and the just delivers that line. Hello, Dexter. It's the penultimate episode leading into that absurd finale. Oh, was, was I, I knew it was late in the season. I actually I forgot yeah. that it was the the, the end of the, the second to last episode. Yeah, I, uh, I at least that's how I remember it. I did watch them in quick succession, so it's possible that it was the third to last. But I'm pretty sure. No, it might have been. I just I couldn't yeah. remember. I, like, I know it is one of those last couple of episodes, but but uh, man, that was yeah, that was that was good. I'm uh, I'm into it though. It's it's decent. It's a it's a, it's a good show. I, oh, uh, we're gonna actually talk a little bit about this when we get into the movie. But one thing that I have a problem with, actually, you know what? I'm gonna save it. I'm gonna save it for later, so I can bring it back to Dexter when we do the movie. Moving oh. on. Give me a news and nugget. Okay. Give me a news and nugget. You have a news and nugget. Oh, <laughs> Give it yeah, to me. sorry. Give it I to me. I did not hear that as like a question of a prompt of nugget. <laughs> I'm sorry. I heard something totally different. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, running, not tally, like kind of running updates on Defector. It's live. It exists. It is a real website now. You can go and interact with it and read it. Um, pay for it. Um, Totally understand if that's not your thing. I'm not saying to you specifically just to anyone listening to this, but if you ever enjoyed Deadspin like prior to it blowing up almost a year ago, then you will love the site. It's so many people who worked at that site, both way back and in the more recent times. It's got a huge cast of characters involved. All the names you expect to see, like Megan Greenwell, Drew McGarry, obviously, Tom Lee. Patrick Redford and a million other people. Um, super excited to get back to reading that website. They kicked off with a tremendous amount of content. Um, it is predominantly sports at the moment, which Deadspin was always predominantly sports. Okay. Um, they got a, uh, with the Thursday night game last week, the first week of the year, they got uh, a Drew McGarry uh, dick bag jamboree. Is that what it is? I forget what it's always called. Dick Joke Chamber, that's what it is, sorry. Um, which is his his weekly football column on Thursday about a whole lot of things and then also football. Um, and Dick Jokes, obviously. Sure. There's some great sure. running gags that he does in that one. Uh, I believe next Tuesday will be the first fun bag, which he does year-round. People email him ridiculous questions or scenarios or whatever, and he does a masterful job. Like, everyone's read mailbag columns, right? Yeah. And like they're fun. Like they're usually good. Like if you enjoy that writer, they're fun. What I appreciate about his in particular is it's got the irreverence that you expect from it. But the way that he weaves jokes throughout the course of it, where there's callbacks to something he answered five questions ago, is actually pretty incredible. I've never seen that before. Like it's not high art, but as someone who's done a fair bit of writing and editing for the site and just like in life. I can appreciate his ability to create a through line through something that feels like it's supposed to be totally separate vignettes. Mm-hmm. Um, and That's cool. just like all the other shit on the, the 
that site is always great. The funny thing is they've always had a ton of podcasts. I never really listened to any of their podcasts. Right. But a lot of that was prior to my involvement in listening to podcasts, which I've sure. become a huge listener of podcasts in the last year and a half. But So I'll have to check it and see if that... They were doing a quiz bowl, week, quiz bowl weekly as well, which I haven't checked that out yet. I'm a little confused as to why and how they're doing that. <laughs> why yeah. really is, is what I'm mostly confused by. They started it up... <laughs> It's like three weeks before the website went live. They were doing a podcast several weeks before the website went live, but now the website is live. The I would if you are interested in it, if you liked Deadspin, even as a casual reader, and you're curious to see what Defector is all about before you shell out for it, um, read the first post. I believe it's totally unlocked because it doesn't make a lot of sense to only offer it to people who've already paid. Sure. By Tom Lee. Um, I don't actually, I haven't really paid attention to what the hierarchy is as far as who's quote unquote in charge there. Um, just in the sense of like, who's like managing editor. Like I know that everyone working there has ownership stake in the site, which is good. This is the model realistically that real websites are going to have to go for moving forward. It's why newspapers are dying. It's why magazines are dying. Even the online version of those things, because you don't have to pay to read them. Mm-hmm. And so the ad model does not support full-time staff of high-quality production. It does not allow real reporting. Sure. Subscription model is the only way that these things will work. And There's so, also ownership and accountability when you're a part of... Well, that's a, a kind of a separate issue. Mm-hmm. Um, they become linked in a very high-level way, but just from the relationship of a reader to a publication and that publication's ability to do its job. Not about the, like the, whether they're working for profit or not, just their ability to finance doing their job. Mm-hmm. They're going to actually report, not just be a blog, right. which this one straddles the lines between those two. Um, Deadspin absolutely. And it's affiliate sites absolutely became a news arm. Eventually they broke stories, but it started as a blog. They were having fun. They were commenting on, all sorts of different things. And that's great. And you can do that relatively well, at least you could with an ad supported model. And there's nothing wrong with having ads as a part of your model, but it doesn't work unless you're generating an insane amount of viewership. Mm. Even something like the ringer, which set itself up to do that. They got a ton of financing on the front end and they had to sell themselves to Spotify. Now they've retained their own control to some extent or whatever, but in the end, the money always has to come from somewhere. Ads doesn't work anymore. That economic model has not been viable for a decade. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see how this website works. They're not the first one to do this. The Athletic broached this a couple of years ago, uh, but that's purely sports coverage. You see stuff like the Atlantic or whatever that you have to have subscriptions to, but even they offer a decent amount of their stuff for free. I think a fully funded version of publications, especially reporting publications is probably the only way to get this to work. It's going to curtail viewership so much because we, as the American populace are so spoiled to being able to read these things for free. We've been able to do it for the last 15 years. Yeah. I have, uh, I, over the last few years, I have been no stranger to paying for quality though. I'm, I'm over that shit. So that's what it comes down to. And it comes up with growing up, right? Because like I, for the longest time felt that way too. Like I, I I wasn't an asshole about it, but you know, you see a lot of people and maybe you won't see it as much because it's not the same. Cause I see it mostly in sports stuff, especially with stuff like, 
um, pro football focus stuff like the athletic and other similar sites where you have to have a paid subscription to view 90% of their content. And those writers, they're paid a full-time salary to do that job and they do it well. Mm-hmm. And those places attract some of the highest caliber writers. They will post their stuff on Twitter. People start bitching. Like you'll just look at the replies to paywall, 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 fuck you, paywall, paywall. It's like, yeah. Could you imagine? I don't, we don't owe you anything. <laughs> yeah, first of all, like, we don't owe you anything. Like, you don't have to follow the person on Twitter if you don't want right. to read them. And, like, you have to understand that they get paid for a living. And, mm-hmm. like, anytime someone says that, like, if you don't want to pay for it, fine. Like, no one's holding a gun to your head that you have to. Like, that, I don't have a problem with, like, you not wanting to do it. Could you imagine, pick whatever job it is that you do in the Someone walked in as like, I really like the thing you do. I'm not paying you for it, though. Right. Could you imagine doing that? Mm-hmm. I mean, what the fuck are we talking about? Here? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like, we're, we're talking about, like, this isn't like, you know, because, like, the way Twitter works, right? Like, someone might retweet a thing, and so, like, someone sees that because they follow you who retweeted it. They go to click on it, and it's like, oh, I didn't know this person wrote something. First of all, it does not give you license to throw a temper tantrum about it, right? No. But there's people who do this who follow the person on Twitter. Right. You already know they work for a pay site. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dude, let's not even let's not even go there because Twitter and any sort of social interactions like that will just make you angry. So instead, what we're gonna do is move on to some fun and games. <laughs> totally fun. And like I'm I'm good. I just yeah. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> no, I just like I'm just so baffled by some of those interactions. Like I understand. I'm understand. excited for Defector. It's back. It's snarky. It's I'm fun. I'm glad I'm glad you got it back. I'm glad you got what you wanted. That's I awesome. That's and I paid for it. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You paid for the thing you wanted. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Good job. Right. And guess what? If you want to complain that you're not getting your money's worth, valid. Yeah. <laughs> totally different. Totally different conversation. Right. <laughs> There's a big difference between paying, to, like, complaining about having to pay for something, and paying for something and being like. This is not worth what I right, pay. right, hundred percent. All right, let's get into some fun and games. Um, I've got one for you here, very, very much on topic with what we're uh, what we're doing for the movies. It is which classic movie gangster are you? I thought it was gonna be about what financial yeast are you? Which financial yeast are you? Ah, oh, you're high yield yeast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. What are the odds you live? Excellent. Good. Poor. I don't think they're good at all. <laughs> this is a weird way to sort of a quiz. Sorry, it was what? It's what mob? What am I? Sorry, what? Uh, the quiz is which classic movie gangster are you? Oh, okay. Which and the question is, what are the odds you live? Sorry, they were what are they? Good, poor, excellent. I don't think they're good at all. I'm gonna say good. Okay. What actor do you like best? Walken, Vinnie Jones, De Niro, Chaz Palminteri. Who's Vinnie Jones? I'm not sure. Obviously, he's not my answer, but... Do you want me to look him up? I'll look him up. I, I mean, I'm a little curious. Vinny Jones. He was... Oh, you wouldn't know him. He was in Snatch, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Uh, he's the juggernaut in X-Men. Oh, that guy? Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So, my favorite guest, De Niro. Okay. What's your racket? Coke, muscle, betting, everything. 
Um, let's go with muscle. Okay. What do you think of your car? It's my love mobile. It's oh. just a car. I'm afraid it'll kill me. I lend it out to kids I like. These are odd options. Yeah, I don't like those options, so I guess let's go with the load. Love uh, mobile? The love mobile. Oh, I said load mobile, which is a weird, slightly related, and much worse thing. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Where do you operate? Manhattan, London, Las Vegas, or the Bronx? Uh, let's go with Manhattan. Okay. Are you dangerous to know? My friends are more dangerous to know than I am. I'd say I'm pretty dangerous to know. I'm not dangerous. Things don't go well for people around me. <laughs> wow. Uh, sorry, what was the second to last one? Uh, I'm not dangerous. No, that's not, that's not right. Uh, so I'm going to need them all again except for that one. My friends are more dangerous to know than I am. I'd say I'm pretty dangerous to know. Things don't go well for people around me. I'd say I'm pretty dangerous to know. Are you aspirational? No, though I talk in an interesting way. <laughs> Not unless you are a football hooligan. No, though I am cool. Yes, except for romance, career, and success. Uh, <laughs> the, some of that first one resonated with me, so... <laughs> Wait, what, no, I talk in an interesting way? Yes. Okay. How cool are you? Like ice. Ice. Like a polar bear? Like the grave? Like a cold drink on a hot day? <laughs> that one. Okay. What makes you cool? My devil-may-care attitude? My size and ferocity? My calm demeanor? I keep an even keel. So this is what makes what? What makes you cool? Oh, the second one. Okay. If you were in a rom-com, would it work? It might be if there's a dance number. <laughs> no, I don't think so. They tried it. It made money, but it was stupid. Well, judging on my romantic history, I'm going to have to go with two. <laughs> do people understand you or do they need subtitles? <laughs> I think sometimes they need subtitles. They understand me fine. I think they understand me just fine. I may be from the Bronx, but I talk real good. <laughs> um, was the first one was that they sometimes need subtitles. I, mm -hmm. I go with that one. Would you work in a sci-fi movie? Would you work in a sci-fi movie? <laughs> I would. It would be about drugs in space. I would, and I will. I'll show you right now, sissy. No, you don't have to change me to. You don't have to change me too much. I don't think my story would work in a science fiction. Oh, I see. Would you, would your story, you, work in a sci-fi? I get it now. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to go yes. Um, was it I would and I will or whatever? Uh, I would and I will. I'll show you. I'll show you right now, sissy. I'm going to go with I would and I will. Wait, oh, that was well, all one? That was all one. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought that was... Uh, oh, I just went with that one. Which hobby would you take up? Dancing, tic-tac-toe, chess, or poker? Tic-tac-toe as a hobby? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I'm going to go with poker. What would be your drug of choice? Coke, cigarettes, booze, dope. Uh, booze. Yeah, that's booze. Seems reasonable. Do you look up to anyone? Julius Caesar. <laughs> Wayne Rooney. My yeah. dad, great tacticians like Napoleon. 
Sorry. I was so confused there. I thought you said Greek tactician. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, what? <laughs> um, let's go with my dad. Okay. What TV show would you binge? Twin Peaks, Vampire Diaries, House of Cards, Lockup. House of Cards. Is there something ironic about your name? My last name sounds like a euphemism for a drug. <laughs> My nickname has to do with an injury I sustained. My nickname has to do with gambling. My first name sounds like the word for the relationship I'm about to corrupt. What? My. F- no, my f- I heard you. No, I, I, I did too, but I wasn't sure if I got that right. Yeah. I'm really confused as to what that's a reference to. Because a lot of these have been like referential of things. And that, that one doesn't make a lot of sense to me. What was the first one? My last name sounds like a euphemism for drugs. Uh, I don't like any of these options. Blind pick? <laughs> yeah. Right. What would you do if I threaten, if threatened by the law? Take a beating if necessary. I wouldn't rat. Keep my mouth shut. I'd call my lawyer. Call my lawyer. Seems reasonable. What would you do if threatened by another mobster? Kill them and their wives and kids? I'd break his spine. I'd shoot him right then and there. I'd tell my pals who would rough the, who would rough the up a little. Uh, shoot him right then and there. Damn. All right. But not the wife and kids, to be clear. Yes. If you, had to, if you had to go straight, what would you do? Run for mayor? Be a pit boss? Be a bodyguard? Run a distributor? I guess run a distributor. Okay. Which movie heroes did you like as a kid? John Wayne? He had such swagger. I always liked Arthur Lau. Who? Lau? Lau? Arthur Lau? Arthur Lau? L-O-W-E? Lau? Lau? Uh, my heroes were real people, like Patton or FDR. My folks didn't let me watch movies because they wanted me in school all the time. Um, let's go with the real people. Okay. What was the last book you read? The Burglar's Guide to the City? A Hundred Dead Skills? A hundred, sorry, A Hundred Deadly Skills. Poetics? Uh, Scarn on Cards? What? I don't know. Um... Sorry, what was the, the second one? A hundred deadly skills. Yeah, that one. Hmm. Do you have a significant other? No, I'm available. No, but that's because I'm all business. I do, but the relationship has its problems. I have a significant other. The first one? Okay. Does your family approve of your profession? Sure, they're freaks like me. Jesus, they're all dead. No, but then they don't know because I lie to them. My father said he'd disown me, so I let him. Um, I guess the first one? This is all very strange. How wide are your pinstripes? So wide... (laughs) (laughs) So There was was a couple of pinstripe suits in this movie. So wide they don't exist. Wide, it's the 1970s. Narrow, it's the 1990s. I wear Yankee pinstripes. It's the Bronx. <laughs> Let's go with that one. Okay. How will you die? Gut shot, old age. I'll get shot by my boss. I'll get shot in the back. Shot in the back. Jesus. This is not the first time that you've chosen an answer in a quiz that was about you getting like shot, stabbed, or killed from behind. Yeah. What? What's your... <laughs> what's, Jesus. What's your main crime? Drug trafficking? Assault and battery? Racketeering? It's tied up in a whole Rico thing. 
<laughs> Sorry, great. can you say that? Can you say that yeah. list again. Drug trafficking, assault and battery, racketeering. It's tied up in the whole Rico thing. Uh, this is what? What's my crime? Yeah. Uh, let's go with the Rico thing. Okay. On a moral, not legal level, are you a bad guy? No, I want the best for the city I love. Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> Deep down inside, I'm the devil. I don't know. I let bad things happen sometimes. Let's go with the first one. I'm not entirely sure how many questions this quiz is. Where will you go once you're a witness? Once you're in witness protection, New Mexico. I know a chemistry teacher there. Puerto Rico, <laughs> Louisiana. I teach game theory at Oxford. Oh wow! I like that one. I kind of like that one as well, but I'm gonna go with Puerto Rico because there are beaches and no littering. What makes the best getaway vehicle? <laughs> Comfort, speed, range, mileage. I mean, as far as getaways go, speed, I guess. Speed. All right. America's you got speed. hot, bad, nasty, badass speed. You got bullet tooth Tony. Who? Yeah, it's the guy that you didn't know, the actor that we didn't pick. Ah. All right. It says, you are bullet tooth Tony. Tony, the menacing London underworld enforcer, known for having several of his front teeth replaced after an incident with a gun, a cutlass, and six shots to the head. You're a tough bastard. Emphasis on bastard. And you can be counted on to put the hurt on someone when push comes to shove and shove comes to blows. When you go up against a bullet dodger, oh, sorry. When you go up against a bullet dodger, though, be sure to bring something other than a gun or you'll spend a lot of time cursing and reloading. I think this has something to do with lock, stock and two smoking barrels, but I don't know. That was a lot of questions for an answer that we were not familiar with. Yeah, um, I've definitely like. I had heard that name before, Bullet Tooth Tony. I had no idea what the reference was from, but I had heard sure. that before. Sure. Well, with that, let us get into our flick of the week. The Untouchables, released in 1987, rated R an hour and 59 minutes runtime. This is your IMDb synopsis. During the era of prohibition in the United States, federal agent Elliot Ness sets out to stop the ruthless Chicago gangster Al Capone, and because of rampant corruption, assembles a small, hand-picked team to help him. That's a very apt description. I, uh, Fun fact going into this, I knew of the Untouchables movie. I've known of it as a classic, something that I should have seen. I never actually realized... I that I didn't know what it was about. I didn't even know, I had no context for this movie going in, which was awesome. I knew it was about like police hunting mobsters. Sure. Didn't know it was about Ness and Capone specifically. Mm-hmm. The only other bit of information I knew about it, two bits of it were like behind the camera things. I knew Brian De Palma directed it. Sure. I knew Kevin Costner and Sean Connery were in it. I knew that Sean Connery won his only Oscar for it. Oh, he won an Oscar for this. Oh yeah. Oh, and boy, did he deserve it. Supporting actor. So it's funny because after watching, like I was super excited going into it, knowing that. I don't know if it was an Oscar-worthy performance, but I will oh, say. you don't think so? I mean, I don't think it was like a, oh, God, how did he win an Oscar for this thing? But like, I didn't sure. feel like it was so good. It was like, oh, yeah, there's no question. You know what I mean? But what I will say is, unquestionably, his best performance of all the movies I've seen. Mm. And yeah. There's a thing that I noticed along the way. This was the most engaged I've ever seen. I agree with that. I like, would definitely agree with that. Like, as Bond, it was early in his career. 
relatively speaking, in the sense of like him being a star, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't, it wasn't like his first role, but it was the first thing that he was like the lead, lead in being like the star of it. And like, that's all fine, but it's not exactly high acting, right? Like high quality acting per se. Like he did a good job, but he's playing sure. a camp. It's a camp. Yeah, it's a role, camp character. Right? Yep. Um, so the couple of things that I think of him being in, I've never seen all of Hunt for Red October. I'd like okay. to, um, be considering I love all things Jack Ryan and Tom Clancy typically, although they don't always make the screen very well. Um, I've seen like the first 15 minutes of that movie. So I know he's considered to have a pretty good performance in that. I know he does a horrendous version of a incredibly Scottish tinged Russian accent in that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> awesome. Uh, like the rock is not exactly high Dude, quality fair, but like he sh- sure brings just w- it, one so. note on that, on his accent that that accent is so thick that you need to wade through it. Like it's ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> like it, in it, the it best requires way. A machete. <laughs> yeah. It requires a machete. Um, like the rock, like he has his moments in that, but you can see he's rolling his eyes at times. Sure. Even Indiana Jones, he has some great one-liners there's a couple of scenes where it's like, okay, he decided to be serious here. And I'm just assuming that Lucas was like, Hey, you've been fucking around <laughs> this scene. Okay, George, whatever. You know, and he's playing a crusty old man, which is what he's been for 60 years. Yeah. He's, he's been the same age for, for at least 60 years. He's got, he's got reverse Paul Rudd syndrome. Yes. Like he's 90 years old. He hasn't been acting seriously for the past 15 years. And for, Easily 30 years before that, he's just been a crusty old man. And that includes <laughs> times that he was in his late 30s and early 40s. So right. I think in that movie, Finding Forrester, he was credited as crusty old man. <laughs> I assumed it was Forrester, but uh, <laughs> I never saw that movie. That's probably his last real serious role because it's mm. he only has one or two other things after that to get to leave his genre. Gentlemen, fun movie, not a good movie. He is fun playing a fun, crusty old man. It's his sure. last feature <laughs> film role, and that's in 2003. Finding Farcer was in like 2000. Um, okay. So okay. this is the, the only meaty role I've seen him in outside of those things that I've mentioned, really. I would say Indiana Jones, honestly, is probably his quote-unquote best role of all the things I have seen him in. Like, just as far as like occasionally showing the acting talent. But he's mostly sure. just playing crusty old man. Yeah. He is engaged start to finish in this movie. Yeah, it's a it, there's some there's something going on here. Like they 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 all are. And I mean, part of it is probably an appreciation of he was post-hype at this point. Bond is done. Uh and had been for years. Mm-hmm. He's now old now and has to decide do you still want to do this? Like do you want to be an actor or not? Right. He's working with David Mamet and Brian De Palma who are two legends in the field. Mm-hmm. And because like it's not like he's working alongside like Costner was not super famous yet like he had I know he had leading roles at that point but like he wasn't Kevin Costner yet Death's yeah. roles is three years later but yeah. Connery definitely impressed me like he was very good he had a couple of scenes where were pretty stand out but he is still playing a crusty old man in this like it is he is he had but he did have the uh, he had the most like well written lines for like almost a monologue-esque delivery, which were really great. And the way that he, he like really leaned into, like he seemed to like really get behind them when he delivered. Well, that's what it is. Like, and that's something I've noticed more as I've gotten older, because I've heard certain criticisms of certain things. And it's like, 
it can be hard to separate my own like perceptions of things that I've known of from when I was younger, where it's like, like you'll hear something like now about people saying about older movies that I remember watching as a younger man, as a teenager, as a kid that I've continued watching through. Where it's like, Oh, this person mailed in that performance. I'm like, what are you talking about? That movie was great. That character was great. It can be hard to see it. Sure. Because you're like, you're affected with that bias. Sure. But viewing similar situations now that I don't have that emotional attachment to, I see it more now where it's like, oh, you just expect that person to be great. It's like, oh, wow, no, they kind of mailed it in. It's like just like their natural talent carried them through, but it's like they don't actually care about what they're doing. It's just their baseline of professionalism that's requiring them to do a certain amount. Mm -hmm. And this, I didn't get that from him. And I'm realizing now as I get older that he's mailed in a lot of performances and he did not mail in a single season. No, not at all. I, uh, one of the things that struck me watching this with uh, Costner was that he he very much to me resembled uh, Chris Evans, like 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 in his younger years. I feel like he looks like Chris Evans now. Um, he had like a Captain America vibe. Kind of. I gotta look up what the hell his name is. I totally forgot the name of. Because I went through the same thing with Andy Garcia. I didn't even recognize him at first. Yeah. Did a pretty good job of playing an Italian guy, actually, for yeah. being someone who's decidedly not Italian. And I realized, and I'm kind of just vamping right now, that he reminded me of, and I totally can't remember the name of the actor right now. He's in all those Wes Anderson movies, and he's in like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. He played Gideon. When he was young, he looks just like him. Jason Schwartzman. Uh, oh, okay. That's kind of funny. And Andy Garcia in this movie looks exactly like <laughs> like a, a clean shaven like Jason Schwartzman, especially like him specifically in Scott Pilgrim because he right. has the long slick back black hair. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I guess it wasn't really slick back in that, but still like similar enough hair, like clean shaven. But you can see stubble like where it's like he has like he could grow a beard if he chose like he could grow impressive facial hair if he chose to. But he's yeah, like, if if you needed him to have a beer, he could in a few hours. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, <laughs> like there, he looks a lot like him in this movie. In fact, I, like I didn't recognize him at all. It took a couple of scenes. I don't know. Eventually, there was one scene where the camera caught him just an angle. I was like, "Oh, that's Andy Garcia." Yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. That that's uh, funny. He, he's he, was play- good. he was great too. He was. He's he's playing a Jewish guy who's actually an Italian guy, but he's really a Hispanic guy. Like you know, I. I'm not entirely sure what's going on there, but acting. Yeah, well, acting <laughs> is what's going on, right? Like, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> it's one. Of, I, it's, like the, it's like the reverse Scarface, where Italians and Jews were playing Cubans, and in this case, a Hispanic guy is playing an Italian guy who's pretending to be Jewish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's funny. They, uh, well, give me a tweet like their view. A different sort of noir, a different sort of gang movie. A different sort of Connery. Heck of a flick. Eight out of ten. Nice. Yeah, well-structured, perfectly paced, and compelling. The Untouchables is truly worthy of the classic label. Nine out of ten. I was very happy with this movie. It was just like, it was one of those things. So, j- diving right in, the movie kicks off. Like I said, did not know anything about the movie. Nothing. Knew nothing about it except for the fact that it was well-regarded. That's all I knew. Yeah. Put it on. Uh... Started watching it. We we kick off and immediately I'm not left in the dark. They here's a little block of text. 
this is what the movie's going to be about. And I was like, oh, this is this was could not have been more well timed. <laughs> like, okay, cool, cool, cool. We're going to oh, get well, into this. this. Is nice. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, okay, this is exactly what it's about. Awesome. And then it starts off with this. You know, you have that um, Capone's in the ch- in the barber chair. He's getting like the interview from the from the press. I, it's tensions rise very quickly because like you're not really sure like how it's going to go. Then there's like a you know a little thing that could easily set him off, and like the person that does it is very scared. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like we're diving right in. I was to, totally like, expecting that to pay off eventually with that guy dying, and I don't think he. No, but it, uh, the just the idea of establishing like the fear, I think, yes. was really well done in in what forty seconds, something like that. Like, and I was just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you're gonna get, you're gonna put him on screen, you're gonna give him this commanding presence, and then you're gonna make like you're gonna bring out the fear like right away and show you what we're like. Here's the stage. This is our bad guy. Like, I think they did a really good job with that. By the way, De Niro looked terrible as Capone. A hundred percent. He looks as bad as Tom Hardy does as Capone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which also, leads I, me to I believe that Al Capone this... looked terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there's a, uh, a growing like bit of proof on that front. But uh, what I noticed in this scene, and it was only reaffirmed throughout the course of it, is that... Brian De Palma is nearly as big a fan as Martin Scorsese is of overhead shots. Mm. Yeah, there there is a lot of there's a lot of overhead and there's a lot of up at like it's like just the awkward the other the, the flipped angle and some overheads that lead directly to the yeah under- the swing like <laughs> the like camera at the swing end of the movie. yeah yeah for sure they uh, that that was definitely a thing that stood out to me was was cinematography like there's a it had that like um, there's I don't know it's like it's almost like I guess that gangster movie vibe like because of probably because of like someone like Scorsese too like just like what you're talking about like that overhead the way that they frame the shots for for one on one conversations the way that they push a certain character on screen into the commanding role based on their position on camera like there's a like it's a design language that is very present in a gangster flick. There was another thing that I noticed too, and I as many movies as I've watched and I'm, I would say I've only become a very amateur study of cinematography and camera work in like the last year and a half, say not even the length of this show really. Um, and it, but it, it's become, it's come from watching a movie a week. It's come from watching as many TV shows as I do mm-hmm. um, there. I wonder what the genesis of this, because as far as my experience and actually paying close attention to it, this is the earliest chronologically I can think of where there was a specific choice made in certain scenes to have, I don't want to call it exactly a one, a oneer like where it's like the one continuous shot on an indoor and hallways, mm-hmm. but they do a decent amount of it or like what is like approximating it, right? Where it's, following the action through yeah. a hallway. Now, not in the same way that it's used now, which is specifically in action sequences, right? Like, think whether the new or old old boy scene with the hammer in the hallway, think it's become super popularized in Daredevil and some of those shows, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're going to have a big, long, extended set The sequence. opening of uh, that last James Bond movie that we did. Yes. Um, yeah. Spectre. Yeah. Yes, it's become a really big thing in the past five years or so for action set pieces. But mm-hmm. 
and then obviously it was a whole movie for Birdman. And I guess they did that for what's it called as well, but it's different because it was all outdoors um, in the Revenant. Mm. But specifically I'm noticing like in sequences indoors in hallways, it has a particular effect. It can have a very claustrophobic. Oh, a hundred percent in they, a good it's way. A tension rising. Yes. Yeah. And they did it. I like the way that they do it in this movie. They do it through POV shots too, which is really interesting. Like where you like, they put you in the shoes of the bad guy in one instance, which was yes. really awesome. But I, um, I, in particular, I know like I, I, my thought on the like the this whole one shot is married to what you're saying about forcing the action to have a particular like importance of a certain character because of their placement in the shot. And I'm thinking specifically. Oh, well, we're not we're pre spoilers. So the scene uh, in the precinct where everything goes to shit. I'll just say mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah. When the elevators are opening and closing and people are going on and off, the way the camera that yeah works in there to highlight certain people at certain times, characters we know and characters we don't know, and to highlight the significance of looks given from one person or another, facial expressions that are used. And like that tension of you make it really makes you feel like you're there. I don't know if it was a handheld or if it was on a on um a, a track, but the way that it continues as a continuous shot going yep. this way up the hallway and now it's pivoting but also yep. still traveling. And then it yeah, comes back they, here, and now it's going up this hallway, and now it's going back. Like, that was really compelling. What sequence. I loved about that particular scene that you're talking about inside of the... And nothing uh, happened yet at that point. Nothing happened yet. But the idea is that you're on ed- you were on edge a little bit beforehand, because almost like a, hmm, too easy? Like, and that's, and you know yeah, so that... you the, get a the, sigh of relief, and it's like, well, this can't be right. Right, and the and the, the your core cast of characters is also feeling that way. And celebrating, and yeah, but in in between it, they're looking over their shoulders, and that's how that's well, with that, with that camera right? shot. No, just the two the two main ones are, but uh, but with even that, then, you, you you sense the sense of they finally take a breath and they're going through the motions of security and safety. Uh, I don't know. I I I got more of the impression of that they were that something was still not right. Like their gut was telling them that something was still not. Right. Their antenna goes up eventually, but at first they're paying lip service because if you think about it, the way things go down, mm-hmm. if they were still up to the full level of security they've been showing to that point where they don't trust anyone, yeah, they would not have ch- made the choices they did then. That's true. That's true. But uh, they definitely, they put you in it. They basically make it so that similar to their characters, like they know something might be going on. They're letting it happen, but it almost doesn't seem like they actually are in control of their actions. It was it's like, very, it's very impressive. It was like if you knew you were going to be on an episode of Punked, and yeah. you thought you got to the end of it, and you've like you've been carrying yourself in such a way like I'm going to get kicked in the nuts at some point, and right. you keep your head on a swivel, and you've been wearing a cup, right? <laughs> and someone tells you like takes a camera and they like, they had the camera, they put it down like okay, we're done rolling, like you're good. It's like okay, you take the sigh of relief. You still like kind of looked around, but it's like okay, like we kind of made it through, and then you get kicked in the nuts. Like that's yeah. what happened because they oh, just the camera over there. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. That was a that, that's an intense scene. Um, really, really well executed. Uh, but that's honestly like that's the, one of the things that like oh, so circling back to the like one of the things about this movie that like really blew me. Like I was I was just 
in it the whole runtime. Like there wasn't a there wasn't a moment where it drops. Like I, I, I will say, I would have liked to have watched it totally unbroken, just the way the schedule worked for me this past week. You had to break it up. That's fine. I didn't I, get to watch it until last night. I started watching it like seven o'clock, and the Islander game came on at eight o'clock. So I watched the first hour, then I watched three or four segments during intermissions for 10 minute pieces. And then like mm-hmm. the final 15 minutes tonight, like two hours before we started recording. Yeah. yeah no, I, for, for me, I was just like, I, I was, I thought I might have to break it up because I ended up putting it on late. Cause I went, was finishing the fourth season of Dexter. Actually, this is a perfect time to talk about what I want to do before though. I was finishing the fourth season of Dexter. Uh, and there was like two episodes left. And I was like, I kind of want to watch these. And then it was like 1130. I was like, I still got to watch the movie. I was like, I'm assuming that I'll get halfway through it and I'll watch the other half tomorrow beforehand. But I was so into it that I watched the whole way through. So that's, that's what happened kind of to me where it's like, okay, I got done with work early, got home, took care of everything I needed to take care of, ate dinner, showered, seven o'clock. It's like, okay, two hour movie. At least like that's what showed up because I had it recorded. Like it was two hours and two minutes. Two-hour movie. Outer game starts at eight. I have one hour. I can get through half of this movie. There's two intermissions. I can watch ten to twelve minutes of it, and then I can finish up the last half hour or so right after the game. Very right. efficient. You know, efficient. Because like hockey games are a little shorter than like football, baseball games. Like it's like just over two and a half hours. Like like the game will end at ten thirty. I'll watch the last half hour or so. I'll be done by eleven fifteen, say eleven thirty. Worst case, go to bed. The other game went into two overtimes. <laughs> oh, man. So the game didn't actually end. Like, it was getting very close to going to a third overtime until I, like, I was texting with Alex, friend of the podcast, Alex, because he's an Islander fan, too. He's, like, one of, like, two Islander fans I know in the world outside of, like, my me and my dad. Jay. And, like, me and him were texting, and I was like, Oh God, it's 1130. If this game doesn't end in this overtime, I'm not going to be able to watch the third overtime because it's 15 <laughs> minutes before they even start the third overtime. It's not even going to start till after midnight and I got to go to bed. I got to get up at six o'clock tomorrow morning for yeah. work. And like, I need to sleep because I'm on the road all day. I cannot be on like a four hour night sleep. And like, I sent that text to him. And 90 seconds later, the Islanders won. I was like, yeah. thank God. Nice. <laughs> thank God for so many reasons. Yeah. But like, I get to go to bed, but I'm not going to be able to finish this movie. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, so, so circling back, I brought up Dexter again. There's a... Um, so one of the things that... Well, this this really stood out to me twice yesterday while I was watching. So once while I was watching Dexter, and then again while I was watching this movie. It's a conversation that we have had on the show previously. Uh, there is a thing in Dexter that I don't like that really bothers me. Um, um, okay. I understand what they're doing. There is these scenes of, they constantly show, they constantly have these scenes where Dexter's father, Harry is in the scene and he's talking to him. It's, it's part of Dexter's head, right? It's him basically divulging to you, the viewer, what he's thinking. Uh, James Ramar's finest role. It was with, it said James Ramar's finest role. Is that what his name is? The actor's name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's hard. I, I I can't stand it anymore. So at the first the first season, I was oh, kind of okay with it. He's such a great character. Though. Yeah, he's okay. So there's a. I have a huge problem with this character. Not the character. Sorry, I have, I have a huge problem with his execution. Uh, that character is spoon is spoon is spoon feeding you every single emotion that Dexter is going through. He's a psychopath. You don't need it though. He's the a guy, psychopath. No, no, no. Listen, listen. 
One of the things that we've talked about in the past is that show me, don't tell me. Just do the thing. You don't need to you don't need to hold my hand through this. I understand the range of emotions that he's going through because they've done such a good job setting him up and showing you how he reacts to things. Like they don't need to they're do, they were doing Harry way more often this season in this fourth season than they needed to. So what you have to understand about Dexter in the context of when the show came out. Cuz the first season was in the early 2000s, I forget what year. Was it 2001? Uh, probably it was was, let's hope that it was early because there are certain things that they say that should not be there but sure people didn't know what psychopaths were like psychopaths was anyone who was crazy right like Mm. back then this was the first character to my knowledge that had mainstream like viewership that defined to a generation of people what an intelligent psychopath was because mm-hmm. think about it, when you were a kid, like you would call anyone who did something crazy or weird or different a psycho. But like the, a, a psychopath is a very specific thing. There is a specific clinical definition for what that person. They outline it very well in the show. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, that's a long time ago now. That's 15-ish years ago that that show came out. So it wasn't a part of the public lexicon the way it is now. Mm-hmm. So you're going through this thing that is dated now with your current understanding and knowledge of the topic. And so I would, I would argue, I would say that that's fair. I would say that that's right. However, it was not, it's done very poorly in the fourth season. It's done too often and too much. Whereas in the first and second season, they lay that groundwork enough for you to understand it. And they actually don't do it as nearly as often as they do in the fourth. There's too much breaking in the fourth season. But there's, there's, so you've accepted the first part of it. The second part of it is by the end of the show, Dexter isn't really a psychopath anymore by the clinical definition of the word. Mm. Because part of being a psychopath is that you do not feel human emotion the way that other people do. Mm-hmm. And he does. Sure. So. Season four is what tips off the fact that he can be a person. I understand. I do understand what you're saying. I'm saying the execution is poor. There's too much of it. It can be a little heavy handed, but considering. It's also very repetitive. Yes, it can be. Um, But considering the context of the time period and what they were trying to do, it doesn't bother me because I understand why they're doing it. Sure. I, I, w- I will say that it's okay. It's okay that it, like, I'm not, I'm not going to like yield. Like, I don't think like today it's not, it doesn't hold up. It's not going to hold up. Sure. It works. It be, like, you, I understand the context Like you now well, have part of, context, part of why right? it doesn't hold up is because of that show though. Like it's almost like a recursive function where it's broken itself. Sure. It wouldn't, maybe it wouldn't be as egregious, but it's still, it is still um, a shortcoming of, of of the execution of actually of the uh, I would say maybe of writing not writing or directing I'm not really sure somebody should have called out that we are actually getting this from the character on screen we don't need the voiceover we don't need this extra scene yeah because there's it actually means so much more coming from the character's facial expressions and coming from their interactions with people yes um, and you've sorry, already I- given it to us once twice. 700 times this episode like stop like move on you're right about that i don't i don't want you to i don't want you to feel like i'm like saying that your point isn't valid i just there is a greater context that i think outweighs what you're saying even what you're saying is true it's 
it's just not like it's true, but it's it doesn't affect it as materially as it should. Like if you view it within the context of when the show happened, like mm, I phrased th- that I, w- while I understand what you're saying, I also don't think that it's on me to view it in the context of when it happens. I can appreciate it and I can respect it. I but mean, every it doesn't a lot hold of up. things. A lot of things happen within a snapshot of like the time in which they they happen, well. Right? Let me bring you back into the Untouchables, okay. where it is perfect execution without spoon feeding you the entire thing. So what I'm specifically getting at is Ness's character, where you are given once vocally that he is a lawman. He skirts the issue of how he feels about prohibition because to him, that's not the point. To him, the point is, this is the law, follow the law. To him, it's cut and dry. And that's all you really need. And then what they do through actions and through the rest of the movie is they let you see him flirt with going past the law because he can't get what he needs done and then juggling this imbalance of like the only way to succeed in upholding this is to break it and what that's doing to him internally. And it really does break him down, but they're never telling you that. They're using this to close the book on that specific part of the conversation about Dexter. Dexter is often held up as the poster child for, oh God, why couldn't we get to the where streaming is at now where we don't have to have 13 episodes? Mm. Or whatever uh, it was. That's a good po- that, That's, yeah. That okay. show is often held up as an example of really, Should've been really eight. good show. <laughs> Should have been eight. Should have been but seven. they were allowed to <laughs> yeah. say, oh, this season we only need nine episodes. Yeah. It could have been like, approaching perfect because mm, gotcha. there's so much that goes right for that show but it does and it's not every season and it's not every episode like sometimes sure. like like 90 percent of the season is perfect and there's just like that one episode that's like right. oh some of this is filler yeah but that's a lot of times that show is held up as an example of this season probably should have been one episode shorter mm. this season probably should have been three <laughs> episodes shorter right, this season right. That was fine at that amount of episodes. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would say like that particularly this last season was pretty was right. I feel like they definitely did enough there. That's uh, the point. only like, problem them, was like, certain they execution filled the within space it. perfectly, right? Like and so this movie it fits within its confines perfectly. It neither overstays its welcome nor does it feel like it needs too much more that it that could have had from what it did have. Mm-hmm. And so they can explore that space adequately within it. Like sometimes less is more. Yeah. And in this movie's case, that was true. If you took this two-hour movie and you made it eight hours long, you probably would have had more explication to justify why the runtime was so long, right? Hmm. And then you would lose something in, like, it wouldn't be the potential work of art that it, like, like that sure. it is or whatever, because now we're explaining to you, Elliot Ness didn't feel very good. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> he would have a conversation with his wife. Oh, you know, my wife, because we never get her name. Right. Um, Ness's wife. Uh, <laughs> Lady wife. in the house with the kid. I believe you know, he also calls his kid the baby. <laughs> he does. You know, that, that child's four years old. Yeah. Um, Ness's oh, wife. hang on. Can we talk about the one major flaw in the movie? That we don't know she's pregnant? <laughs> we don't know that she's pregnant. We don't know how much time has passed. My assumption is that that night where he had a lot of work to do and she pulled him up to the bedroom, she got pregnant. So I'm assuming nine months out of that. So the scene that we're introduced to, to them, right? And as it was going up, it was like, 
my God, is that Patricia Clarkson? And we were talking about Paul Rudd the other day and how he yeah. hasn't aged in 30 years, neither is she. Yeah. No, she has not. She looks exactly the same in this, in 1987, as she does the first time you see her as Tammy One in Parks and Rec in yes. like 2012. Yeah. Um, Could not agree more. <laughs> <laughs> except her hair color is different. That's the only difference. But in that scene... I can smell watch, the sulfur coming off your hooves. I know that was a different Tammy. But <laughs> <laughs> um, if you watch them, the scene pans up, and we see her face for the first time, and I think she was making tea or something like that. And it was before he goes to work for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. And she's wearing like a nightgown. It's clearly early in the morning before he goes to work. And I'm like, either she's pregnant or that's the least flattering shot of a person that's ever been done on screen. Okay. Because they say nothing about it. They don't even like intimate where like, like, you know, she's like, oh, you know, good luck at work. And he likes like, absolutely like touches her, her belly or, belly or, or like, yeah, yeah. nothing, nothing at all. 45 minutes later, she has a kid. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, so she was pregnant. Thanks for establishing that. Yeah. yeah. Like, it was never like when, they, like when they're worried that, like, Nitty is outside the house and he's threatening them and he freaks out and goes to find the kid and he's, like, hugging her with his gun out. And, like, you know, he does the whole thing with the, where he, you know, he, he thinks he's got him for the first time and, you know, and, and he comes home and they, you know, oh, like, there's some innuendo as to whether she's going to brush her hair or have sex with her. At no point do they ever in any way, shape, or form establish that she's pregnant. Right. Other than that one first establishing shot of her in profile in which it was like, man, she is really getting an unflattering look at this or she's pregnant. Because that's the only indication that she's pregnant mm. until she has the kid. Right. Yeah, that was that was odd. It almost seems like something was cut. Like there's like a director's cut somewhere where there's more to that. Like that's definitely a piece that was... And that, that was the only thing that I was just like, wait. What? <laughs> I was also like, how, seriously though, how much time has passed between when the screen went dark a moment ago <laughs> and yeah, now? No. So she, so like they do establish it then, but even then, like she doesn't look like she's like about to no. give <laughs> birth. Like she looks like the way that a woman does when she's like four or five months pregnant, and you're like, should I ask if she's pregnant? <laughs> The answer to that question is no. Al. It's always no, but you know what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I got you. I got you. But uh, that 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 whole, that one particular thing threw me off. Um, still, we're still in pre-spoiler territory. There's a one other thing that I think is worth bringing up here, and that is that I never notice wardrobe. I never notice costume. Right? I don't. This, these are not really things. Like unless like it's like a a cool sci-fi movie or things like that. Like when it's regular clothes or like a period piece, it generally doesn't. I guess the non-breaking of the period piece is usually helpful uh, indication that they did the costumes, right? That's fu- that's fair. But I never really pay much attention of, to it. A lot of three-piece suits in this. But part. I would say, while I was watching this, and I was I was like, this looks good. I was like, <laughs> this looks good. And then I real, and then I was like, I remembered, like it, it dawned on me that early. It was like this, like there was like they made a big notion on like the screen that costume uh, and garments were handled by Armani. And I was just like, and I was like, I, I remember early on seeing that in the beginning and being like, okay, whatever. Like, you know, like it's like come up because the only reason I noticed it is because, you know, in that time when you made a movie, it starts off with a good three, four hours of credits. And then the movie <laughs> starts. And Do you remember uh, John that, Wayne movies? That, that was, that was one of the ones that I saw. So. Do you remember John Wayne movies where they had 45 minutes of credits it, and, and a theme song that they made for the movie. Right. With. Sometimes with lyrics. Yeah. And the, it's like, 
Because, like, you know, you hear a composition, it's like, okay, this is generic composition. It could be from something else that I've never seen before, heard before, or it could be something they made. But how much could, like, just a little orchestral, like, flourish be, even though it's 45 minutes long, but it's kind of repeating, right? Like, and then, like, there's, like, every once in a while where, like, you hear, like, and then, like, someone starts, like, singing a couple of verses, and it's like, oh, wow, they made a song to, like, I'm going to come up with a John Wayne one, and of course it's not going to be one that had one, but like Rio Bravo or something like that. Yeah. Like, they're singing about the Rio Bravo, and there's no song in the world in which anyone has ever said the words Rio Bravo. <laughs> what are the odds? Yeah. <laughs> so we get, we, we get this thing, I make the notion of, the, make the note of like, there's like a, a, like a, that there's like costume design was called out early on. And then like halfway through the movie, I believe I believe Kevin Costner is holding his gun and hanging off the side of a car, like while they're driving or while they're about to move or about to and I was like, man, I don't know what this scene's about, but he is straight up posing for a magazine. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that's like his his suit fit like exactly right. And like they, this was going on throughout the movie. I was like, these these people look really good. <laughs> Well, we were talking earlier about both of us starting to gain an appreciation more for some of the cinematography things. Yeah. Wardrobe has got to be probably one of, like, the last things. Like, wardrobe and score. Mm-hmm. Like, in, in, at least in good movies where it's, like, the specific choices made in this score or in this wardrobe are actually part of the character characterization and plot. Like, yeah. I'm not there yet. Like, every once in a while, you kind of catch something, but it's, like... Mm-hmm. Everyone, you'll see something online, like a breakdown of things. Like, even in something like Avengers, there's an appreciation yeah. of like, like people track down like coloration of sky on Vormir and stuff like mm-hmm. that. There's the shift in mood. Oh, that's still beyond. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, hundred percent. I'm I'm with you on that. I will say I'm I'm definitely closer to it with the music than I am with the wardrobe. But yes, especially that article I read, and I know I mentioned to you. I know I sent it to you. I don't know if you read it. That one around the time that episode nine came out someone there's like a there's like a john williams scholar like that is like i don't know if it's his full-time profession but it's a paid hobby we'll call it okay where he has scholarly articles and like study of john williams's score across movies not just star wars yeah but specifically a lot of it obviously is spent on star wars and like how important the score is to characterization and like it blew my mind where it's like, like everyone knows a handful of themes. Like they, Oh, like that's like Leia's song. Like, and if you're really yeah. good, you know, it's called loving or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But then to understand like what, especially when they get reprised or whatever, and as part of like bigger arrangements and like the fact that certain ones are, are only played, not just because it's like, okay, like the way an establishing shot is made where it's like, okay, the Imperial March is playing because Darth Vader's here. Right. Like mm-hmm. the, the fact that, some of these things take on importance in actual characterization and narrative importance. And some of them are even characters themselves. Like the theme song for the force is essentially its own character or a representation of the force as a character in the movie. Right. Like that's insane to me. Like, yeah, I'm I'm with you. And Star Wars may be some of the most heightened versions of that, but there's a lot of movies that have that. It's like, oh yeah, wow, that's so beyond. Me. I mean, I for me, it's it's Hans Zimmer. Like, like I because I can I can I I I can just listen to one of the soundtracks and know exactly what's happening in the movie and the story just because I'm I've been listening to it for a while now. But that's that's a lot. That's a lot of narrative stuff. I don't know. I don't know Zimmer's stuff as well as you do. I don't know how much of it. 
lends to character and characterization. Sure, I think it's more thematic, but yeah, yes. it, um, I, I totally I get what you're saying about that for sure. About like the especially the force <laughs> that's that is absolutely true. Avengers, um, the Marvel movies, uh, they the characters each have music that goes that pairs with them. And if you are, if you start to get acquainted with it, if you are listening to the album, you can connect which characters are on screen based on what you're listening to. Yeah. Which is really cool too. Uh, there's also, um, it really, uh, Hans Zimmer is the one that does it. He's, he's the, he's my standout. That's the one that like really gets me. But, uh, there's been, I mean, there's like, it's gotten to the point where like, I, the, I like, the music in those in certain scenes and like in certain scores can be like super overwhelming at times. Where like I've been like, well, I've been working and listening to soundtracks just in the background, and then all of a sudden, just like like almost get like a little bit overwhelmed, and like I'm like, what is happening to me right now? And then remember like what it's from, like and like what's going on, like in the movie that it's in. It's like, oh my god, like this is heavy. Uh, the other one that it hit me the other day was uh, the the music for Black Panther kicked in. And it, it, I had just watched it, and I was feeling very attached to it when I watched it the other day. So it was just like hearing that again. I was like, "Oh, like this is another one that's doing it." But um, what I had not realized, like I said, I knew The Untouchables was a classic. Uh, I I did not realize that the music was going to be such a big deal going in. But there were there are parts of that score. Like I have, I continually will go on Spotify and I'll add like some random person's epic movie playlist, and I'll just play that for the day, right? And Music from this movie, like, when it started playing, I was like, I know this. Like, I know this. <laughs> and I've never seen this movie before. <laughs> it's because it has made its fun. way onto those playlists. And I was like, this is really cool. See, I would never think to do that listening to random things. Like, I would, like, you know, I've thrown on, especially if I'm going to do writing or editing, like, or if I'm going to think do, like, do a marathon session of, like, editing a bunch of Brian stuff for, like, the site. Like, I'll throw on a score to, like, it's a Star Wars. Sure. Like Lord of the Rings, like I've thrown on scores for like Mass Effect or mm-hmm. stuff like that. I could never imagine myself throwing on like a compilation of things that I may or may not have like heard from movies I may or may not have seen. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I very much enjoy it, but uh, it, yeah, this movie, this movie definitely also has some pretty great music in it. Um, I want to let's dive further in and just say from this point forward, we'll be lifting the veil so that we can go full spoilers. But I mean, if you have, if you've gotten this far and you haven't seen it, like, I mean, like I said, I hadn't seen it until last night. Uh, Me either. The reason we, we talked about it last week. Cause I mentioned a few times in the past few weeks, like I want to start serious. Like I, like if I was off, I've been working sometimes entirely too much through the pandemic, through quarantining and all that. Like I've, have always wanted to get to old classic movies. We obviously love movies because we do this movie podcast. I know you feel the same way, even if our lists don't hundred percent overlap. This has been one of the ones that's been on my short list of the much longer list of classic movies. I want to get to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, definitely. I, um, one, uh, so like, like we're saying, like if you are, if you're interested in that type of stuff and you haven't seen this, it's absolutely worth your time. Pause here. Watch it. Don't let us, spoil anything else for you like it's it's it was it's a good movie it's very awesome um so diving in we're in post-spoiler territory now one thing i just want to point out uh i have the imdb page open on imdb at the top you know how they have like the carousel of of pictures from the like stills from the movie sometimes they swipe across uh one that just popped up was a picture of the calendar yesterday was september 15th i was watching dexter they open the count. Cal- they they point out a calendar on the date September fifteenth. Circle it. Boom. We're like, whoa! 
me and Kim. That's weird. That is and weird. then later on, I'm watching this movie. Uh, movie kicks off. Little girl gets exploded, and then they go, <laughs> then they turn into the they they go into Ness's house. His wife is at the calendar. Rips off the fourteenth. It's September fifteenth. I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. I'm uh, very unsettling. But speaking of that intro, uh, intro when that when we blow when it blows up, I was like, oh, it's this kind of movie. Like, <laughs> I didn't know where we were going just yet, but I was like, oh boy, this is gonna get dark. <laughs> Which is funny because as I was watching this movie. I was like, man, the idea of what like a dark mob movie is is so wildly different in the last twenty five years because like this movie is dark. Yeah. For then. Yeah. Because if you made that exact movie with today's sensibilities, it would look a lot different. Oh yeah. And I was like, man, like I can only imagine like this was probably like people were like, oh fuck, this is like a like like, buckle up yeah and for me i was like like good movie yeah but like i was never like i never felt like the weight of it on me Mm. you know what i mean like other than that one scene with the with the little girl like i never felt like the weight and maybe maybe the scene in the elevator well like it was a rough go but even that like you don't see it yeah that's part of it is like there's a more innocent and like maybe it's like it's it's not even tell don't show it's just like you don't need to see. It's actually kind of like we're baby. It feels like we're Baby Yoda closing the little pod over ourselves yeah. and hearing the gunshots. Like, like it's a certain version of storytelling, right? Because you you move it off of the victimization and onto the observer, and that can be powerful in its own way. Because with the with one person's story ending, to see the ripple effects that it has in the people who survive them is important. In a way, though, I think it was done back then to. I mean, like, gratuitous violence was different then versus now, like, what was acceptable, like, on screen. But I think also a certain point of it was, like, kind of a veneration of the dead then, where it's, like, it almost feels exploitative. Like, it's mm. fictional, right? Although this was a real story, right? But the movie is fictional. Yeah. And, like, we didn't actually see a man die. We watched an actor who portrayed a real person who died. Yeah. And it feels almost, like, exploitative maybe to watch that happen and see the after effects where it feels like, okay, we see blood spewing everywhere, but we didn't watch it spew. And mm-hmm. we see, you know, touchable scribbled into the blood and we see it's kind of created into a tableau, but nothing approaching something that you'd see now, like the show Hannibal literally about tableaus in most episodes mm-hmm. of serial killers killing people in these very performative ways. Yeah, And we don't see that in this. We see a quick flash of the victim victims, but the one more important, the one we care about was, what was it? Was it Oscar? Was that his name? Yeah, I think so. Um, Oscar and, Wallace. Yeah. And then he's treated very gently by the gruffest of all the characters. Yeah. See, as he's that was moved, it's, it, it's the respect. And it's also a certain amount of respect from the filmmakers to the character as well. That sort of thing wouldn't happen in what you'd call a quote unquote, like gritty realistic. Like I have to imagine that's how this movie was viewed back then, but compared to what quote unquote gritty and realistic things are now, it doesn't hold a candle. It's got kids gloves. Yeah. Like I understand why that is, but 
maybe it's all our own loss of innocence that it doesn't feel oh, sure. like, that's why I didn't feel like I didn't wear the weight of this movie the same way that I would if it was made today. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that makes sense. It's also, you know, we also, under, we understand serial killers, uh, kid getting blown up, not a big deal. That's, <laughs> that's well, where we're at that, today. That, that, that line from, <laughs> uh, from the dark Knight, right? Like, you know, you know, they blow up a, a, a transport with soldiers over seas and nobody blinks an eye, but I threaten to blow up one hospital and everyone loses their mind. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> like that's what, it, like when you expect it, you're desensitized to it. It's only when it truly shocks you. And uh, something made back then can't shock you the way that things are now because we have crossed boundaries many times yeah. over as the generations go. Whether that's right or wrong, it simply is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, I... Uh... Uh, circling into some of our favorite parts of this movie, because that actually, um, we're, the scene that we were talking about with the, you know, with the touchables on the elevator, that was the that was the culmination of the scene that we were talking about in the pre-spoiler territory of walking through the police precinct. While like everything's a little bit chaotic, we're yeah. a little bit on edge. Still doesn't feel just right. Uh, we we have a gut feeling, but we're not necessarily listening to it. And then something horrible happens. And uh, I will say, um, having. Uh, What's it called? Having two two of our main characters get like you know we're we're only four like four untouchables right our four guys and like two of them getting taken out is actually pretty intense. That's you know fifty percent of our main cast is gone, which is incredible, right? Because like this really happened. Yeah. Like I'm sure there was some creative liberties, but like this is a real story. Yeah. Yeah. And like if like we were read up on like the details of the history of Al Capone getting arrested, like we should know those guys are gonna die. But I imagine you experienced it the same way as I did, where I didn't have four. Like, nope. I know Elliot Ness hunted down Al Capone. I know they got him on tax fraud. <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> that is about yeah. it. Like, I, I know that Al Capone was involved with, like, bootlegging. Those are the only things I know about that. And like, it happened in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, I did a... Uh... The, the fine details, I've never heard of Malone or Stone or Wallace. Right. I've never heard of those guys. I appreciated the... Uh... While Wallace, like, basically telling you from the beginning of the movie, like, we're going to get him on tax fraud. That's that's how we're going to do this. Well, it's like, like, that did track with me, where I was like, I knew that was how they ultimately got him. Right. So when he came out and said it, I was like, oh, that's kind of like a funny foreshadowing. Like, yeah. And then him constantly bring it up. Factually, in real life, happened. Which, okay, let's that leads me into potentially one of, if not my favorite scene. Um, I am a sucker for a recruitment slash training slash getting ready montage. Oh, it and always works. Pulling the four untouchables together was awesome. Granted, it's so funny because it's actually really short. Really, we only we only go recruit one guy, then we go back to the office and he goes, You got a badge? Yes, now you have a gun. <laughs> Come with us. Well the the best part about it too is like Wallace is just treated like a punchline like he's a comedic afterthought the same way that the photographer yeah and it's like he doesn't have time for him and then all of a sudden he's part of the core four. Oh yeah he's the badass he also how many guys does he kill on that bridge oh my god and that, <laughs> you, you want to get to favorite moments i know we didn't do a favorite moment yeah, yeah. i actually yeah. kind of like the way this discussion has broken our structure from the last yeah. like several months but like because this is actually feels like a throwback to some older episodes we've done sure um and this movie, I think, maybe probably has benefited more from that. Yeah, I, I think. think so. Um, way near movies like this, movies that have really like stuff you can sink your teeth into, yeah. I think work better with this sort of discussion. Sure. Anything that's not popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, 
that was one of my I, one of my favorite one of my favorite parts of the movie to go back to that structure is that scene on the bridge because man did that go full circle where we took a character who looked like he was just going to be a comedic afterthought like I said and he gets real development throughout the course of the story he yeah. goes from a literal pencil pusher sure. who's like a doofus and like you keep like ha ah, like you're the nerd like you're talking about tax like we're trying to get this fucking murderous thug right and like along the way. The two characters, like, he forces Elliot Ness to think of what his job as a treasury agent actually entails. Yeah. It's not just, I'm not, you're, you're not a cop. Yeah. Like, you, know, you, know, like, <laughs> you are a treasury agent. You have to look at the big picture here. And he says to you, you work for the FBI. FBI yeah. agents, they do investigations. They, do, they crunch the numbers. They look at, the, they do all this, like, detective work. But at the end of the day, you got a badge and a gun because when the shit hits the fan, you got to be ready to go. <laughs> it doesn't matter that you look like like a nervous Nelly. You're gonna pick yeah. up a shotgun. You're gonna ride a horse. Yeah, we're gonna get into some shit right now. That was so. That was so. Good. I will say, yeah, because they, they basically set it up. You look at this guy and you're like, I, they do this on purpose. Where like you see him and you go, if if we were if it comes down to fight or flight, you would assume this guy's running the other way. That's the way that they build the character up up into that scene, which makes it so entertaining. When he just, by the oh end. my god, it was awesome. When he runs out of ammo and then charges the guy. And butt and hits him with yeah. the butt of the gun. When we also realize that he doesn't know the other guy doesn't have ammo left. Well, the gun jammed, right? Right. Oh, that's right. It jams. Like, he doesn't know that's going to... Like, he's, he's going all in. That was crazy. The way that scene ends, though, with him taking a sip of the, of the liquor that is pouring out of the... That was just... We go Just from kiss. like teetotaler pencil pusher to literal badass shot up two trucks, right. kills a bunch of dudes, like smashes in this dude's face with a shotgun and just swigging this illegal Canadian whiskey. Yeah. Oh my with god. Grin on his face the whole way. So that was so good. That that entire scene is actually amazing. Uh, from from the beginning of like being on top of the mountain, uh, talking to the Mounties. Ext- Describing like how this is going to go down, how we're going to coordinate to everybody like basically fiddling their thumbs, twitching, freaking out inside of the cabin, except for Malone, right? That's Sean Connery's name, except for Malone, who's trying to tell them to calm down. He's like, you just he's like, this is part of it. He's like, you just live in this until it's time. I like that he goes to uh, uh, Andy Garcia's character. Did you already check it? Yeah. Then leave it alone. <laughs> that was that was a well, great which line. Which is great. And like that's like, but you could argue it as like, okay, maybe this is part of his like process or whatever. Like there's like real tangible life advice that could have been applied to anyone to what he says to Ness, right? The, the meeting has been arranged for a certain time. The clock will work when it does. Right. Like there's no point in like, Hemming and hawing and work like it'll be when it it's gonna be like yeah until now like you can be nervous but like pacing isn't gonna change anything look at the clock it'll happen what's gonna happen paired with the perfect punctuation of eating a salami with a butcher's knife <laughs> but uh so yeah so they I so I love that they you know they they ride out there the, the fact the way that they incorporated the horses into that scene was really awesome it made it super exciting like a cowboys and Indians type of like oh yeah that went full western that yeah scene. that was that was awesome um also I have it, to say at the, like I wonder again mammoth script super famous like screenplay writer De Palma like directing he's known as one of like the old school auteurs right 
I have to imagine that was an improvised line when Malone chases down the guy with the, the ledger and says, enough with all this running crap. Yeah. I have to imagine he said that was just a take. Yeah. They probably ran that take eight times, right? And he's chasing it down, <laughs> and he just says, just the ball, but not even to yeah. the other actor. But over the is running crap, and he goes, you know what? This works for this scene. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> Check the gate. Uh, I, I do love when we get... Um, Costa get, uh, Ness gets back into the house, and there's that one guy that's hiding. The way they do that scene, that's like a very noir scene, right? Yes. And I'd like to hear what you have to but I, I must interject. Yeah. Where the fuck did he get that grenade from? Yeah, I don't know. Had it in his pocket? They had shotguns, which, by the way, were not the right weapons. They should have had rifles or Tommy. Like, Stone has a Tommy gun. Like, he's the sure. only one. Why do they have shotguns in a scene like where they have to engage at distance? Yeah. You don't engage from horseback at distance with a shotgun. Yeah. But where the fuck did he get a hand grenade from? Uh, yeah, it's not clear. Because he whipped that out of his pocket, and I was like, I think we're just supposed to assume that they were like stocked up, like and ready for battle. But like, a hand grenade? A hand, yeah. Well, there was the line what in the beginning about hand grenades on, and Tommy guns. What policeman is issued a fucking hand grenade? Is it possible that he grabbed it and we didn't see it? Like, did he maybe grab it from one of them or like That's from the car? I was because it's actually the only plausible explanation, but we don't yeah. actually see that, to my knowledge. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. But please yeah. continue on with what you were saying. Oh, no, yeah. I, so I love that scene, right? So the the, hench, the the bad guy goes into the cabin. Uh, Ness is on the outside of the shot, like, like closest to the camera against the wall next to the that window. That was actually a cool shot, although I, I do question the, the physics of that. I have to imagine he'd be able to see him. Oh, there. he would 100% see him. But he's doing like a almost like a Roger Rabbit-esque look out the window, which was pretty great. Uh, because that, was, like, that made it feel... Like the 30s. I don't know, like just the way that they did it for so like oh it made it feel like an old film, which was really which is really funny for a movie that's a little bit older doing an even older take, right? It's which funny, is, actually, even at times well I I actually thought this was a, a movie that was slightly older than it was. Like I thought this was more like 1980, not 87. Mm-hmm. Which which actually makes it even more impressive. Right? Yeah. Like the, the later that you go to get that much of a of that older feel to feel natural was it's pretty amazing. Uh, that whole scene sequence, the grenade getting in there, holding the guy up to the gunpoint, telling him to drop it, telling him to stop. And when he shoots him, when Ness shoots the guy down, and then he's 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 real mad that he had to do it. He's like, "You don't speak." He's like, "What? You don't speak English?" Or like, "You don't hear me?" Like, he's like, "What was that?" Like, he's like, he's having a monologue with himself, yelling at this corpse. That was the only time where I kind of laughed at the movie because I was like. Well, no, he doesn't speak English. You could clearly hear him yelling at you in Italian. Sure, but uh, <laughs> I mean, he spoke English. I'm fairly certain he just no. he, that was just an Italian curse. No, that one character. No, he he says I think two separate lines in Italian. Oh, that interesting. That wasn't well, an Italian either way. That was either way, he knows guy. what he's saying. I don't think it really matters if it speaks well, English. Well, you or can not. certainly infer what he's saying. Sure, like. The guy has a gun on you. Yeah. Like, he's clearly a cop. They've busted up your whole thing. But, no, he literally couldn't understand what you're saying. He only speaks Italian. Yeah, but I, I do love that, like, this movie uh, does that thing where, like, every little, like, if we're going to do something and we're going to leave it around, it's going to come into play later. And, like, I feel like they did a lot of, except for the baby. Or apparently maybe the baby bump did come in later. 
that that was the only indication that the child was going to be born. Anyway, but leaving that body there, uh, but not in frame from the doorway was actually really the way that that actually is all staged is perfect for the coming scene, which ends up being a tremendous scene of Malone's losing it. He wants the information. He wants to know what's going on. They're this close. He's playing. They're playing good cop, bad cop. Whether or not Ness realizes it. <laughs> I thought they were playing bad cop, bad cop. <laughs> but uh, when he goes outside and he picks the guy up and he's holding the, the dead body up and he's holding him against the window, I was like, this is great. He's going to shoot him. Yep. And the way that they played into that with the camera angle and showing you the guy in the chair that they were trying to get the answers from. Yeah, getting, the guy in the chair could only see like his right shoulder. Through yeah. The and he's getting increasingly more scared. As that scene is going on to the point where he freaks out when Sean Connery shoots him in the face. Like, that was so well done. I really... And Oh, well, and then and the Mountie just... going, I don't approve of your methods. He's like, well, you're not from Chicago. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Well, and it's also like, it's like a pretty good... Like, that's, that's why they can sell it, right? Because, like, Stone and Ness know the score. Although you can see they're slow on the uptake at first. Yeah. And... Meanwhile, like the Mountie captain has no idea what's going on. He thinks he just murdered a guy. Yeah. Which, by the way, well, I guess technically he was out of his jurisdiction. Do about it, other than to throw that jab at him. You, you would have hoped someone would have gunned him on the side later on and be like, "Hey, buddy, it was a dead body." And like, yeah, even maybe that's not fair play, but like, we didn't execute it, dude. Like, we're not. Yeah. We're not crazy. Uh, but in the moment, it's super important that he thinks that they just fucking executed a guy. Yeah. So that he's unsettled too, making the whole thing more real. Feels authentic, right? Yeah. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, man. Great scene. Great scene. <laughs> Big fan. Uh, let's see. What else have we got here? Uh, that one, that note that I had on that was dead guy for dramatic effect. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about another. Okay. So here's. Well, I, it's funny because my note was executing a dead man. Heady play. <laughs> yeah. That, nice. Nice. Uh, I want to talk about my least favorite scene in the movie. Oh, a least favorite. Yeah, I'm jumping into least favorite for a moment here. Because it is the stroller going up the stairs. It was a bit much. Was horrible. Going down the stairs, fine. That was slow and enough time to make it dramatic. That's cool. Going up the stairs? It was symmetrical. Oh my god. That was 40 minutes. <laughs> in order to get kinetic energy, you first must have potential energy. Oh in order to have the, the long, drawn-out tension of the slow-motion carriage rolling down the stairs, you have to take 45 minutes to drag it up the stairs. That was horrible. It was. It was, it was horrible. Well, you yeah. know what it was horrible for? The way we got, we got a De Palma overhead shot, mm-hmm. many of them actually cut up in quick succession. But over, the, under, over, under. <laughs> yeah, well, there's actually, yeah, oh, the over, under, too. The one I thought about in particular was when he falls off of the, or sorry, when they were on the roof, he throws Nitty off the roof, and you get an overhead shot, and then it flips to under. Yeah. As he's staring down at With Nitty. the clouds behind him. Yeah. Um, like, obviously, they did it a bunch of times, but that was the one in particular I think of when you say the over, under. But yeah. This one, yeah, they're cutting back and forth. Too. I assumed, like, she was an insurance. At first, I assumed she was an insurance policy. She was because, like, she's like making a big deal about the carriage, and then she's like, you know, "Oh, you stay there." I was like, "Is there a bomb in the carriage? Is there a yeah. bomb in the in the suitcase?" Because she puts the suitcase down. I thought that's why he was staring at her, mm-hmm. and the way that the camera was played, like, because it was similar. Like that woman who comes out of the elevator before they execute Wallace. The way they shoot that, and the like, 
the part of that whole one shot thing I was talking about, the way that the, the camera pivots from point of view to point of view, yep. she's clearly involved in the whole situation. Mm-hmm. I assume that was the case with this too. And we already know that they have, these people have no compunction about killing children right. because Nitty kills the little girl at the beginning with the bomb, right? Or like just doesn't care that he kills her. Right. right. So I was wondering, I was like, is there a bomb in the suitcase? Is there a bomb in the carriage? Is the baby not real? Is she going to scoop the baby and leave the carriage? And the carriage is the bomb. Right. And I thought that's why he was watching her was because it's like, oh, like that's clearly not correct. Like this in the situation. And no, yeah. it's just, I really want to go help that, that, that lady who's all alone with her. No, it was, it was more specifically, if that's the, that's was another thing. Like there's like clear cuts of who Ness is and like, he cares about family and kids and he's worried in that scene. He knows that there's a very high chance that this is going to get hot fast. Well, there was that too. And, and, and there was the line earlier about, you know, you, maybe you think about it differently because you had a kid or whatever, like, which like, it's like, it's layer, right? There's more. Yeah, than yeah. Like it's, mm-hmm. he wants to be the, the good Samaritan help out. He's afraid that they're going to get caught up in all of this. And he's on edge to begin with. Like, there's all of that. I do think she but, went with a terrible game plan. Just oh my god! First plan. off, she well, the, the reason why it would be totally reasonable for you to think that either the baby or the carriage or both are a bomb is everything that she does makes no sense. First off, she moves the carriage towards the steps. Then she puts the bags down. I don't know, ten feet away from the carriage. Then she comes back to the carriage and re-angles it. Then she goes and grabs the bags and brings them back. And then she moves one bag up the steps. And then she goes back down. And then she re-angles the carriage. And then she moves another bag up. I was like, not like, why? Like, why? Like that, it was, you know what? It was making me physically like I was getting angry. Like in yes. that moment. I was like, because it was everything about it was unnatural. Even if it was a bomb, that's not what she would be doing. <laughs> you know what that's you know what that scene was? That scene was watching Peter try and scoop the frog with the butt with the Yeah. <laughs> it's hundred percent. That's exactly what it was. I, However, I'm just the whole time like I'm I'm watching it, I'm like screaming at my television, like, walk up the first bank of stairs, put the suitcases there, grab the This is nineteen thirty. This is before people were worried about like kidnapping babies and like suitcases and like like Yeah. Just bring the, the put the suitcases there. Yep. So like, I'm about to walk outside and put them all the way up like three flights of stairs. Top of the one flight of stairs. Bring the carriage up. Move up one more flight of stairs. Bring the carriage up. Fuck are we doing? It's very, very simple. But, however, all of this heartache, all of this agita led, led to potentially maybe my second favorite line of the movie, which is, you got him? I got him. Take him. <laughs> that was a great scene <laughs> you know though like the worst part though after like before like right before that right before that because we're watching like he's profiling them as they walk through like okay mm-hmm. like maybe it's this guy oh no he's just waiting on his wife and friends like you know okay like someone's coming through no it's a family oh someone's coming through no it's just a little or actually i don't know why i call her a little old lady she's just like a single mother with with her baby or whatever all this stuff a couple like navy guys who clearly just got home from like, Ooh. and then like some more navy guys, and and yeah. I was wondering, I was like, man, like, cause he's watching them, and I was like, maybe he's gonna list them to help, and like they're gonna have like this patriotic like duty, and and two of them get shot trying to save the baby, and I was yeah. like, oh. and like neither of them even succeeds. I was like, I fuck, man, like those guys just got home from like a tour on duty, and like they're just trying to have some leave, or maybe they they've been like honorably discharged. And, 
oh, they got shut up for no reason, like in yeah. the middle of this like senseless thing. It was like that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was but definitely she- supposed to add to that, like the heaviness, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, for you, oh, man, one, two. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was awesome. That's <laughs> such a great scene. Oh man, I was uh, also. I mean, it's another thing. Like I said, like they put something there early on. They will. They they call it back. They make they make a good point of it. Like they show you how good of a shot he is. Like, that was like a whole thing. He was a prodigy. Like that whole thing. Also, and by they, the way, I guess I mean I know the Weaver stance hasn't always been around, but fuck, they taught them how to shoot a really weird way. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just turn my whole body and fire one handed, like to look like a bad. Thing. That's the type of thing you'd see in like a nineteen nineties action movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh it is it's such a it's such a good scene um where else we got what else you got give me some notes you got any notes oh well, I, got a, I, I, got a, I have a crappy note here that i want to just pepper in real quick okay. i watched this on stars i did not i have not watched something on stars in a very long time they watermark the whole movie like or not the whole movie but like maybe 80 percent of it with like short bursts mm. of not having it i was like I get it. Like, I know I'm watching this. What are you do? What is this doing for anybody? Get the stars logo off the screen. <laughs> well, what is it doing for anyone in 2020? I understood why they did it in 1995. Because back then, you put the TV on whatever channel you were on. You didn't that's, know. Yeah, now, right. you gotta, yeah. now you got a guide. That's right. What am I watching? Oh, right. I'm on stars. Okay. It's on stars on demand. It's stars. I know it's stars. <laughs> well, sure. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. cause like for me, I watch it on stars as well. Yeah, but like it was on. I have Direct TV. I saw it yep. was going to be on. I recorded it. Right. Watched it, and like it has the watermark on. Like totally understood why that was a thing pre guy. <laughs> <laughs> but now <laughs> that was just that was just a stupid thing that I had no. You 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 can go on now. I think oh, you're going somewhere. Yeah. No. I I really enjoyed the mentor mentee relationship between Malone and Ness, but I actually liked even more, even though we got much less of it with like being in the foreground, but Malone and stone as he's teaching this young gun, how to be a cop, how to be like honorable and how to be a part of all of this stuff. I actually really liked that relationship because even more so it was like a father son. Cause like yeah. Ness, Ness and Malone feels like a older brother, younger brother, yeah, type of thing, and with Malone and Stone, it feels like a father son thing. I do love their their that core interaction they have when like we first meet them, where he he makes a racial slur at him, and they go back and forth, and then when Stone puts the gun to his neck, he goes, Malone goes, I gotta like him. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great scene. Uh, it, it was a nice moment at the end when he finds the St. Jude oh, thing. Heavy. And then he gives it to Stone. I thought that he was going to follow him and become a treasury agent. Like, I don't know. Like, honestly, after I was like a cop in Chicago and I busted up everyone's good time, I wouldn't want to stick around in Chicago. Sure. That's a great way to get shot in the back. Yeah. Which, which we, we've learned over numerous quizzes is one of your fears. Yeah. <laughs> Who's gonna get you? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I mean, I'm uh, not afraid of actually literally getting shot in the back, but <laughs> fair enough. Metaphorically um, speaking, getting Julius Caesar. Jesus. Uh, one another favorite line of mine uh, when we're in the courthouse and we find out the jury's been bought, and then we go into the the judge's so chambers. Brazenly too. 
Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we go into the judges' chambers, and uh, Ness goes, "I need a moment," and he talks to the judge. You don't hear what they're saying. He goes back, and the judge eventually makes the call to switch the juries. And the TA turns to him and goes, "What did you tell him? Wait, what did you say to him in there? I told him he was on the ledger too, but he wasn't." I know. <laughs> Which just goes to show how dirty this was. But, you know, it actually made me wonder because, and this is actually probably one of the very small failings in this script slash, like, direction. I wish they showed us a little more mm. about the corruption. That was a, one of the very few things that we were told about more than we were shown. I mean, like, That's don't fair. get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Like, Wallace dies, the, the informant dies, like, yeah, and we saw it. Like, there's the whole situation between Malone and that guy he knows, and like their relationship, where he like, I need to feel why. Well, I need to feel what that guy feels because right. like, you see like one glance out the window when the I think it was was it was that Malone's cousin who was killed in the car. Um, I thought I wasn't sure. Like, I was. I, I'm that, assuming I was a it confused was about that. Yeah, I'm assuming it was because they trusted him as a driver in the past. Right. Because he was Malone's cousin. It's like one of the very few people he could verify was legit. Right. And who else would they use to drive the informant they're going to put under protection? That's fair. So I just, I, I don't know it was him. And but they like, don't the really address sh- it. Yeah. Shot. Like you see him from outside a window. He's down on the street. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't tell even watching it on my fucking projector. I couldn't tell if it was the same actor and he only gets one line in the movie or whatever it is. But I just assume that's who it was, because like, who else would they use? Yeah. Like, I need to feel what that guy, I don't even know what that cop's name was, like, what he feels. I need to see, like, those cops, like, oh, like, we kind of see the implication of what, like, the corruption's about, but it doesn't ever feel real. Like, you like you know they don't trust people, but you don't feel that palpable paranoia mm-hmm. in most of the scenes. And because in the end, right, like, he implicates the judge. The judge would have blown up if he wasn't in the book. That was interesting, yeah. Like, I, like, he wasn't in the book, but he's obviously on the take. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done what he did. Right, right. Now, maybe it was one of those, like, I'll do one thing for one little thing, and, like, I didn't feel good about it, but, like, I can't allow it to impugn my honor. Like, maybe he's not nearly the offender that some of these other people were, right? Mm-hmm. But clearly, he's involved. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done he's what he did. He's implicated in some capacity that... And honestly, yeah, that almost seems like it's a little bit of a gamble. But I feel like at that point, yeah, Ness, like he, he made it up just to get the point across. But the gamble, it's a bluff, right? He's and assuming. Pays off. Yeah, he's assuming that, like, in some capacity, everybody in this town seems to be a little bit dirty because the only because what um, Malone taught him was to trust no one. So yeah, which well, but that's why they trusted the DA. Yeah, that's a. I guess that's a good point. That's what I'm saying. I need to see and feel a little more like, 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 and also that relationship there too, because they put a lot on that DA's shoulders and he's firmly in their corner. Like, like, yeah, he said, I won't take it to trial because I don't have it, but you can understand why. Because yeah. That dude's going to get fucking iced if he doesn't get it right. Yeah. So like, I totally understood that. Like that wasn't about corruption. That was just about covering his own ass. <laughs> but once they get the guy dead to rights, he could have found a way, just like the judge could have found. Like that was pretty fucking concrete evidence, and the judge is like, "Eh, yeah." And it's like the DA is in their corner firmly. He's celebrating with them when they get Capone. Yeah. So we're to believe he's the only ranking member of the judicial system who isn't on the take. Yeah. Which I'm sure there's someone who's clean, right? Like, but that's a 
Like, that would have been one of the key targets for Capone to turn that guy, right? Sure. So, show me something there. Like, what was the motivation for him to be clean? Like, yeah, yeah. like you expect some sort of moment where, like, whether you see it or it's a little conversation about, like, why he's the guy you can trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like why? Yeah, why they were able to? Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, I, I understand. I see what you're saying there. And as far as like the ba- background of the movie, like to, and like the world does feel real and lived in, but it's still the threat of the dirty cops feels very specific to certain scenes. It doesn't feel as pervasive as it should have. Where, oh god, it's everyone or ninety five percent of them or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Like where, oh, we can't trust anyone. Like it's very scene specific. And it's hard for us to like relate to that phenomenon, seeing so little of it, like seeing how it affected the cops themselves. Like, like we see like that guy was a little bit conflicted, but not really that conflicted. It's just kind of because like in the end, right. It's like he, he sees the guy's dead and just kind of like, nah. And then he says to him alone. Well, I'd hate to see it happen to someone I know. Yeah. Like that was the furthest his compassion could extend is, Oh yeah, we used to work together. I don't really want you to die. Yeah, <laughs> like it doesn't like it doesn't ever feel real. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, it, there's a <laughs> that speaking of on on the take, the scene where the guy tries to bribe Ness. Ness calls the other guy the back and calls everybody back into the office, and then throws the stack of money at his face. Is really literally great. at his face. Yeah, <laughs> it hits him like it's square in the nose, which is just yeah. awesome. Um, that was, that's a good scene, but I wanted to, the one thing I wanted to talk about here was there was a phenomenon, I feel like a long time ago that like, maybe we, maybe we get it every once on a blue moon now, but I feel like it happened more regularly, like in the, in the nineties, eighties, maybe even in, and definitely in some like older classic movies of the closing line, just being a real, just like a sick just a sick line that they drop at the end of the movie, the last dialogue in the movie as like the character walks off into the sunset, basically. And they nailed it in this movie. It's so good. What I, was the final line that so the scoop goes, word is they're going to repeal prohibition. What will you do then? And Ness goes, I think I'll have a drink. And then he oh, walks yeah. off. And I was like, just to solidify who this character is, like, like we said earlier, like he doesn't really seem to have a preference or care about prohibition. No, he it's cares just about, totally the, about law. the principle. Yeah, <laughs> which I think is such a like. Just uh, I think he was able to maintain. I think that was trying to show you, like almost like a him maintaining who he is as a person, even though he went through all this crap. Like he came out with some scars and maybe had to make some adjustments, but at his core, he's still the same guy. I did think it was a little odd the way it went. I wonder how that happened in real time as opposed to what was revealed much later down the line. Because no one fingers him for throwing Nitty off the roof. Right. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And, like, there was clearly murder. Like, like, he was going to kill him, then decided, no, I'm a lawman. I'm going to arrest him. And then he decided to kill him. Yeah. Well, he decided to kill him because of what he said about Malone, but yeah. Sure. And I... Totally understand why he did it, mm-hmm. but like, that's not a good reason for a cop to kill someone. Sure. And then he goes downstairs to have the major confrontation with the judge, and he says in that meeting, I've had to break and become what it is I chose to fight just to take it out. And it worked. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're gonna if we're gonna have like the powerful mm-hmm. moment where it's like, we gotta be a we gotta be the guys who's not gonna take a drink while we're on the job, like 
Probably should have fessed up to murdering that guy. <laughs> yeah. I, like in the process of going through all of that. Like, because it feels like he gets to just walk off and like into the sunset. Like you said, it's like, killed that guy. Yeah. I do think, I mean, there's something to it of like, he, like the Malone basically pushed him to the point of understanding that there are going to be things that he's going to either, he's either going to have to do and stifle emotionally like to get through this or you know like or it's not going to get done or he's going to go down for it because like well, he's not going to be able to come out with his hands clean there was a big difference earlier in the movie right where he kills that guy and he says yeah would you rather be him yeah then go home and sleep like there's a big difference between where the 100%. heat of battle so like like self-defense and i do have you dead to rights and then i'm gonna kill you yeah after yeah. i've already gone through the like the whole thought process of <clears throat> I'm gonna kill you. No, that's not the right thing to do. Yeah, but yeah, I'm mean, obviously a big part he, of uh, being he the tripped. white knight, and then you know finding <laughs> out whether he can be the dark knight. You know, right? What are you prepared to do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, about that that last line though, like I'll probably have a drink. I, it got me thinking of like, uh, what are like uh, what are some other like awesome closing lines of a flick. Right, just a real fun, like really a great send off. And I was curious if you had any, but I pulled up this list that came from short list of the fifty best final lines in movies. I was curious if you if there was any that came to the top of your head. Well, it's funny because I'm struggling to think of any of them now. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking, like you mentioning that, like that mic drop moment of like walking off with a great line, right? But I was thinking this whole time, especially because they say the move, like the word untouchable, a couple of times. Yeah. And it's actually fairly early on when the alderman says it, right? Ah, he said it. Well, and like, if they didn't do it at any of those points, like, like as soon as you brought up the thing about saying that line, I'm thinking of, like, this is, like, would this have been one of those movies going back into that time period where it's, like, he has a final monologue as he's, like, walking off and he goes, we were truly untouchable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the type of thing I picture. <laughs> Oh man! So I, it's just, I popped this list open. There's a couple. Of, I'm gonna scroll through and, and pick out any that like that jump out to me and stop me if there's any that um, that either you think of or that that means something to you. But the first one on the list is actually pretty good. It's from Fight Club, and it says, "You met me at a very strange time in my life." I think that's a that that was a good line in context. Um, the uh, classic from Back to the Future, Rhodes. Well, we're going. We don't need roads. <laughs> that's awesome. And the yeah. one that's on this list that is potentially my favorite, um, obviously, you know I'm a big fan of Memento, but the closing line of Memento was, now, where was I? <laughs> Which is such a great, like, in the context of everything going on in that film, is just so perfect. Um, we got the Matrix on here. Where we go from here, where we go from there is a choice to leave to you. It's pretty solid. Uh, in seven... Uh, William Somerset says Ernest Hemingway once wrote the world is a fine place and worth fighting for I agree with the second part it's a yeah. good line I'm thinking I'm thinking now as I'm going to interject and I would expect it's probably on there was it the last line I know it's one of the last lines I think it might be the last one I think I'm about ready to have another adventure the end of Return of the King, Bilbo, when he gets ready to step yeah, the ship. Yeah, it might, it might be. We'll see. I think it's the very through. last one, but it could be the second to last. Oh, one. okay. Yeah, if it's second to last, it won't make it on, I'm sure. But yeah. uh, they also have in here, um, obviously, Lieutenant Gordon, at the end of the Dark Knight. He has a pretty long, lengthy line there. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I didn't see this original Italian job, but the, yeah, the, I've never seen the, it, the line says, hang on, lads. I've got a great idea, which I just can only imagine in the context of what that movie is about. That it's probably pretty great. Um, we have usual suspects. Uh, pretty well known. Um, this one's good. Did we did we do Psycho on the show or did I just watch it during the run of us doing the show? We've never done Psycho. Okay, so Psycho, the line is, I'm not even going to swap that fly. I hope they're watching. They'll see. They'll see. And they'll know. And they'll say, why she wouldn't harm even harm a fly. That's a, it's a, in, did you ever see it? Uh, uh, did no, mean, I told oh, you, you never, several never weeks it? ago when I saw North by Northwest, that's the first ever. Hitchcock. Oh, Hitchcock. That's right. Uh, that's actually, that line, when you, when you watch it, it'll make a lot more sense. That line is actually pretty, uh, pretty creepy. Uh, <laughs> we have, um, Woody in Toy Story Three, uh, so long, partner. Which was uh, when we thought that was the end was pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty intense. Silence of the Lambs. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. <laughs> yes, that was <laughs> so a classic. Awesome line. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, this one is from Home Alone. Kevin, what did you do to my room? <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Uh, Lethal Weapon ends with I'm too old for this. I believe I it's a I believe it's a shh as it cuts. I'm too old for this shh and then like it cuts uh, in the... I, believe yeah, it's I how forgot it that's the final line because he says it a few times. Yep. Um, oh, great one. Iron Man. The truth is I am Iron Man. What a great... Remember that? The first time you see that movie and it's just like yes! <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um... We have Sarah Sarah Connor's long-winded end line. Uh, the Spider-Man one is actually pretty similar to the Iron Man one. It's just not public uh, from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. This is my gift, my curse. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. I thought you were saying this is my gift, my curse, my Spider-Man. <laughs> my Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, man. Um, let's see what else we got in here. Anything good? Anything good? Oh, Casino Royale. And in Casino Royale with the names Bond, James Bond is really yeah, just yeah. well done. Uh, let's see. What else? What else? What else? What else? <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I am a, I'm a big fan of a strong closing line like that. Just, uh, it's just fun. Just a fun way to end a movie. Just a little cap. A little, little something extra at the end there. But um, anyway, back to the untouchables. Do you have any other notes on this one? No, I was just curious what your thought was on... Was this the first, well, like, not counting Mission Impossible, was this, like, the first, like, real, like, Brian De Palma movie you've seen? Um, I want to say no, but let me see if I could, I'm going to double check and see what, what what's on the list here. Because the I, name was familiar, and I feel like I had done a, uh, I've seen Snake Eyes. Uh, like you said, I've seen Mission Impossible. Well, because I remember, like, like first really thinking like I knew he I knew the name I know he's a famous director mm-hmm. I didn't realize like he was like serious like contemporaries with like Lucas and Coppola yeah. and Scorsese I, I've, like, I've seen Scarface like those guys were all like like they're all like friends with each other like they all like you know work together formally or informally in some way shape or form like and I was reading an article on the Ringer a year or two ago in which they're talking about a bunch of his movies, I think, or if they were talking about a bunch of Mission Impossible movies. I think it was maybe last year when the new Mission Impossible movie came out. Okay. And about how that was the first one 
where they had repeat directors, right? Because Chris McQuarrie did the last two. I forget the guy who did four. Abrams did three. Wu did two. And Brian De Palma did one. And mm-hmm. there was a section of that article devoted to De Palma and his cinematography where it's, or not cinematography, like, you know, his, like, his, his credits where it's, this was like the first time that he did like a real true blue, like big budget, like movie hmm. that he's always been the author who goes against the grain. And I was like, Oh wow. Like I've never really seen any of his things. Like I knew the name. I knew he was a super famous director. That was curious, like where he was basically chose most of his career to be the anti Lucas, the anti Scorsese, the right. anti Coppola. And that mission impossible was the first time that he like, and then he goes like full bore into being that huge set pieces, like yeah, and like the, I just found that whole thing fascinating, and I was like, it is oh, interesting. Wow. I'd like to check out some of his movies, but I still didn't really know any of these. And this one eventually, like between then and now, like I didn't find it out when we were going to. Say that. I knew he did this movie, but sure. I didn't know what other movies he did. Didn't realize he did Scarface until recently. Mm-hmm. Didn't know until just now. I was scrolling through that he did. Carlito's way. Totally forgot he did carry. Mm. Um, oh, there's a couple other too. things on there that I didn't realize he did either. And I just I was wondering if you knew anything about him. If you yeah, not not really. I was pleasantly surprised too. It makes me also want to uh, watch like rewatch some of the other ones that I've seen and kind of get a get a feel for like the like the continuity between the styles. Yeah, you know. And the same thing like when I, and this I only found out like yesterday. I had no idea that. David Mamet wrote this movie. I knew, that's the name I knew. Like, mm-hmm. He's like a famous screenwriter. But again, I don't even know any of the movies he's written. I just know that he's super famous. Just a like, known name. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. Like, so I have to go back and look and see if I know any of his stuff. You can watch if, or if there's any of his stuff that I can check out because I know that he's like revered as a screenwriter. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like this idea of going going back a little further to some classics that we never got a chance to see, or even that maybe like one of us saw that the other one could watch. We could do something. Yeah. Like just to break, break things up. Keep it's awesome. Fresh. Give us a chance to like, take out that list that like, I know I've been building. It sounds like you, Oh, I've got you, like, that the list. idea of that list. You know, if, if you have your own list or not, I, don't, yep. I wasn't sure. Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> um, well, awesome. That was, that was fun. I appreciate that you brought this one up. It was a good, it was a good way to kick off this, uh, this classics style of, of flicks in the six so that's all for this week's episode we hope you enjoyed it as always if you have a movie for us to review or nuggets for us to discuss you can send those requests to flicks in the six at the spin or tweet us at the spin tune old movies new movies whatever you want let us know we'll do them tune in next week for more movie and beer goodness until then i'm anthony costanzo i'm al bielsi thanks for coming out <laughs>